And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. edition of the Hagman Report for today, Wednesday, February 7th, February. Yeah, February 7th, 2018. February. Welcome, everyone. Yeah, or March. I'm sorry, March. It feels like February. I got to tell you, we're having one of those, um, <laughs> the, the edge of the thunder snow coming our way. Um, and um, it was amazing. I got to the office uh, brutally early with the lady, the studio dog, and it was pretty, you know, pretty, there's nothing really on the ground. And then, um, by about six o'clock, it looked like a winter wonderland out there. And of course, the dragon lady, the studio dog to the office, she's like, what are you doing to me? Well, what's going on? Why are you doing this to me? And of course, now we've got, uh, that heavy wet, uh, snow from the thunder snow, the, uh, nor'eastern in the, in the northeast, but, uh, and New York's getting yeah, bad. They're calling yeah. for up the, 16 inches in New York City, which is incredible. We've worked in New York City, uh, and a few times, you know, you get three, four inches there. The whole city shuts down. Yeah, for the yeah. Most part. It, it, so it, imagine 16 inches of that wet snow we got. And the in the uh, the um, highway, that, or the throughway that goes up to Montreal, you know, from from really the south, and and that all gets gets screwed up, and all, all the bridges. And my goodness, I wouldn't want to be there. A number of things to get into tonight. We got a great show lined up for you tonight. Hour two, Josh Tully is going to be. Paying us a visit. I just can't wait. He's just a, a crowd pleaser. Hour three, Pastor David Langford from the Voice of Evangelism. But this first hour, <clears throat> drilling down on some news. Um, a couple of things. A, a call for a special counsel, or a second special counsel, that is. The fact that, uh, Clapper, James Clapper, knew, he knew, Clapper knew that there were irregularities with the Clinton server and agreed with Strzok to basically cover them up. But uh, pulling out the uh, the stops here, the uh, uh, coming out of the gate, it's important for all of us to really take notice, sit up and take notice to a Washington Post columnist. And, and this is the real, this now, from this Washington Post columnist, they are now no longer attempting to hide their agenda. That mean, meaning the the uh, permanent bureaucrats, the Obama holdovers, the sycophants in the Obama-Clinton media. Now listen to this. The Daily Wire is has reported on this. I have not seen this being reported widely anywhere. The Washington Post columnist, a Washington Post columnist, ran an op-ed Tuesday. And, and look, I don't read the Washington Post. I skim the, the headlines, but I, somehow I missed this. An op-ed from Tuesday by Elizabeth Brunig, basically touting socialism as the answer for a new economic system in the United States. Uh, she penned a very frightening defense of Marxism. It's time to give socialism a try. This from uh, Washington Post columnist, op-ed Elizabeth Brunig. Again, touting the, uh, the oh, the greatness of socialism, the greatness of Marxism. Hello. But see, 
the it, the 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 plans, the schemes, everything going on, the objectives of the socialists, of the Marxists. It's no longer covert. It's no longer under, you know being covered by the veil. Now we've got. This is what we've wanted all along. And, and touting this out is this Elizabeth Brunig, of course, the possibilities of a new economic system here in the United States. It's out in the open. This is what they want to do. And it's interesting because the Daily Wire points this out, where she, she starts out by complaining that capitalism has hollowed out the liberal movement, that liberals want to praise capitalism for its benefits, but ignore its, its, but while ignoring its downside. Instead, Brunig suggests, it's time to give socialism a try. Oh yeah. Never did, never, never been tried before. Yeah. Well, I wonder how Venezuelans like that. You know, again, this is, uh, the gloves are, or, or, well, the gloves are on. This is the last gasp as, uh, the, uh, the capitalists, the pro-capitalists, the pro-constitutionalists, the people, the true Americans are, are saying, no, this is the United States of America. We are a nation built on Christian it's a, we have a Christian foundation. We have a capitalistic society. It's fair. Now, the people who pervert the capitalistic society are the very people who want to enforce the socialism. The Hillary Clinton, Hillary and Bill Clinton, the Clinton Foundation. In my view, this is what we're seeing take place. Because the, the, the party of self-enrichment, I've got mine, too bad for you. A, again, the Obama regime, this was their plan all along to usher in socialism as the really as the the utopia this communist utopia that they're looking at so that's something to watch and are you are you seeing this and hopefully everyone's connecting with this where we are seeing this this marxist orwellian censorship and the tactics of the liberal fascists being used against the, uh, the, the true patriots here in America. And this ties into the yeah. trade wars that we see going on. Absolutely. Today. All of this ties together. Now, the, when you read this column in the Washington Post, if you have to, and again, this is touting socialism as the answer, as this communist utopia. And, and don't forget along with this, the gun registrations, the the uh, the anti Second Amendment crowd, the anti First Amendment crowd. Don't forget the Second and First Amendment, and along with the Fourth Fourth Amendment, they go hand in hand with one another. But this, of course, this op ed piece, uh, is is indescribable to me because Brunig states that capitalism encourages and requires fierce individualism, self-interested disregard for the other, and resentment of arrangements into one um, into which one deposits more than he or she withdraws. Oh, doesn't that sound interesting? In other words, it sounds so unfair, whereas socialism is the fair doctrine here. So, compare this they are no longer trying to hide their objectives. They're no longer uh, hiding behind the pretext, the veil of uh, the the liberal label. 
It is now full-blown Marxism and socialism. And who is surprised because we had Bernie Sanders running as a socialist, the guy's a socialist, and then you had Hillary Clinton, who would have in her eight years, as they expected in the 16-year plan that began with eight years of Obama, was supposed to end with eight years of of Clinton. The, the total, complete transformation of the United States into a socialist nation. That's what we're seeing. So that, and then of course, FBI agent Peter Strzok was told of possible breach of the Clinton server, but didn't follow up. This is being reported. This, this was reported uh, yesterday. And the coverage on this is minuscule. You've got former, yeah, I'm going to tell you right now. Um, th- th- this is why programs like this are so important. By the way, I want to mention, Joe, that um, Alex Jones uh, has taken a couple of days off. He's He took his children and got away. I, look, this guy worked uh, in, in five days. He worked, I think, four and a half of the five days, total straight hours. I mean, no family time, nothing. And he's been working for the last year like, like a madman. So he, he took a couple of days off. He's up in, in Vail. And he did a, uh, a video that's on InfoWars. I would urge everyone to, 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 to watch it. As a matter of fact, I, I Maybe we can link to it from HagmanReport.com, but the fact is this. He's talking about censorship and about the the censorship in, in, in the greater scheme and the asymmetrical war by the Marxists, by the progressive fascists. And 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 it's it's explains a lot. So I would urge everyone to watch that. You can go to infowars.com and watch that. And um and that ties into everything that we're seeing out, we're seeing today. But, but right now in America, we are watching the attempted overthrow or the continued overthrow of Donald Trump. If you can, if you can believe this, two years out or a year or four hundred and some odd days out of the election, they're still trying to overturn the election through the special counsel, Robert Mueller. They're still stacking the deck. They're still fighting. They're still hitting on the. Um, the, uh, 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 the the presidency, the war is still raging. Donald Trump's enemies on the left and Donald Trump's enemies on the right are active. They're still active, and through a variety of underhanded tactics, lies, leaks, obstruction, obfuscation, and even violence, what we are seeing is. They are waging an all-out war to delegitimize President Donald Trump, to delegitimize every conservative voice on the right, and we have to fight against this. We just put up the segment from Coach Dave Dobmeyer from Monday. I would urge everyone to watch that as well. We can no longer afford to play defense. Defense does not win a game. Defense does not win the battle in which we find ourselves. We must now turn to our offensive team. CoachDaveLive.com, and when we ask and when we look at this, you know, obviously, we must ask ourselves: Who are these determined and ruthless villains that have cast this, placed us square in the battle between good and evil? You've got people such as Elizabeth Warren, past and present, by the way. Uh, the, the, you could you could take the entirety past of the Department of Justice higher level and the FBI. Then, of course, numerous people within Congress. And, and it's, it's coming out now 
although it's been out kind of percolating in, in, the, in the background, congressional members, Keith Ellison, member a member of the Nation of Islam, a card-carrying member of the Nation of Islam back in the 1990s, according to Louis Farrakhan. And you've got the picture of Obama and Louis Farrakhan, Nation of Islam. They hid that photograph because they did not want to give any indication of what his plans were. And those people who have who have come to us and said, why were you so concerned about his background? Why were you so concerned about his constitutional eligibility? Because he would have never passed a background check. Had that picture alone been uh, been uh, uh, made public, that would have been mm-hmm. uh, certainly been an issue. But you've got again, you know, the the ruthless villains, past and present: Elizabeth Warren, George Soros. You know the names. You've seen many of their names on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, and various other social networking platforms. You've heard them on television, from Jake Tapper to Don Lemon to Rachel Maddow, others who might be not as familiar to you. Nina Tandron. Um, or Tandon, uh, Tom Steyer, of course, you might know Steyer from the commercials he's run, uh, others, and others nameless within this deep state. This is what we are facing today. And now, and then I'm going to turn, turn it over to Joe. This is so important. Now, you've got Trey Gowdy and Bob Goodlot, mm-hmm. okay, coming out yesterday with a letter yesterday, and I, I have the letter linked to my morning show, uh, if you go to the show description of my morning show on Blog Talk Radio, there it is. And and that is the letter that is asking for a special or a second uh, special counsel to investigate what Horowitz cannot. Because the IG, and as we mentioned, now look, the IG, uh, the, uh, Michael Horowitz, is getting into, of course, his reporters do here shortly, but Horowitz is limited to current active members or current members of the Department of Justice and the FBI. So that leaves out some pretty important players, upwards of not two dozen, but upwards of three dozen. And that includes people such as Loretta Lynch and James Comey. So now you've got a demand by, or certainly a strong request, maybe not a demand, by Goodlot and, and by uh, Trey Gowdy, they're chairman of the respective committees, one on the judiciary, one on the House Oversight, saying we need a special counsel to investigate the, the criminal activity uh, into the uh, the affairs of the DOJ and the FBI. In this way, they, they'll have a subpoena authority. They'll have uh, they'll, they will have more authority than Horowitz. Horowitz was relegated to kind of a narrow swath. Good stuff. Handcuffs off. But we need to expand that probe in order to get the perp walks that we so desire. Justice is coming. And you know, I've, I've kind of taken to looking at some of the QAnon posts of late. And I can see whether or not, without regard to the legitimacy or authenticity of QAnon, I'm not going to speak to that. But certainly what you're looking at from what is being posted is consistent with, and listen to me carefully, again, I'm not attempting to legit, to legitimize or even comment on the legitimacy of whatever, just the postings themselves certainly are consistent 
with the movements by Congress and by the executive branch and, 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 and certainly show, at least in my view, the, uh, uh, the possible victories by the members who are going up against the deep state. So all of that and, and more in this hour before Josh Tully comes on. So I really want to just, and, and by the way, I want to thank everyone from the bottom of our hearts. I was talking with Steve Quayle earlier today and I, I, I just, we had talked about so many things, but I want to thank everyone from the bottom of our hearts. I want to thank coach Dave Dobmeyer from the bottom of our hearts. And I want to thank each and every one of you, again, from the bottom of our hearts, for standing with us. Because I've been pulled away. I was absent last night. I've been pulled away. I've been doing things. I've been doing, it's like 24-7, of, of attempting to to formulate the response, not the reaction, but the response to all of the things that are going on. You expect us and, I, and I, I believe this to be true. You expect us not to sit behind the microphone and just complain and whine. You expect us to do something, to, to do whatever we can to change the complexion of the battlefield, to get in the game. And this is what we're doing. This, And we're doing it methodically. Now, I'm not going to give out our tactics. I'm not going to give out what we're doing. But rest assured, we're moving the ball down the field, as Coach Dave Dobmeyer would say. And we're moving the ball down the field, not just for us, but for those other broadcasters, those other YouTubers, those other people who, who have been disenfranchised, who've been censored, who've been left without a voice, who've been assaulted, phys- uh, not physically, but uh, financially, who have been assaulted uh, and their characters impugned. Uh, who have been uh, taken off and have no no uh, widespread recourse to say, I didn't do this or I didn't bully anyone or I didn't, you know, they, they're left indefensible. They're left without a voice. So all of those people were attempting to assist those people, were attempting to rally the troops, were attempting to move the ball downfield, metaphorically speaking. But what does that mean in reality? It means in reality that those people who have declared war on us, on the Christian conservative base, on the constitutionalists, on the people who are fed up with homosexual marriage, who view it as a perversion, who are anti-American family, who are pro-beta male, and nothing, by the way, nothing sickens me more than to, than what I see as the celebration of the beta male over the alpha male. Whereas you've got this, this, a bunch of eunuchs, compliments of Silicon Valley, a bunch of castrated, effeminate men, I won't even use that term men, who are the new normal according to Silicon Valley, according to Hollywood, according to all of you know, all of the, um, the liberal fascists out there as their foot soldiers and pawns in this, in this, uh, attack against our culture. We are, look, we are fighting battles on, on all fronts. We're fighting the battle within our culture, the moral decay. We're fighting the battles in the legal realm. We're fighting the battles in the, uh, in the censorship, uh, against censorship in the public square. 
We're fighting the battles everywhere we can. We are done playing defense. We're going to play offense now. Now it's our time. And see, you've, you've allowed us to do that through your good gracious, through your support, through your encouragement, through your financial support, whatever it might be. Now can you see, can you feel the change in the, can you, can you note the change in the air? When Alex Jones comes out and says, look, we are on the march, we're gonna, we're gonna, we are gonna be going forward and we're gonna be offensive. We're, we're gonna be playing the offensive game. As he said basically, and I'm paraphrasing of course in his video of today, this is what we're doing in tandem, individually and collectively. Because together we can make a difference. We can win on the numbers. So you shouldn't keep me off the air. See, I, I, I dominated that first uh, segment, but this is where we're at today. Sorry, you covered a lot of good ground. Uh, you know, the push for socialism, it's always amazing when you see stories like this. Uh, Chinese ramp up communism injections on U.S. campuses, strings attached funding to coerce censorship. And we see this push towards communism where China has his, the, the president of China has erased or abolished term limits, basically making himself a dictator. And you see what's happened in Venezuela, and this experiment known as socialism, this system of government, has done nothing but but spread and create misery in each and every country who attempts to adopt that model. And these people never learn, and time and time again they continue to push for it. And here we are in the United States, and we see socialism, uh, you know, attempts through the back door with welfare, with you know, this push towards universal basic income, on and on and on and on. It's a constant battle that we're going to be fighting. And free trade, NAFTA, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, ties in to, you know, this communist, globalist, socialist type of government. And we have seen Gary Cohen, Trump's President Trump's top economic advisor, leave the White House. He's had many uh, altercations with President Trump since the inauguration from the problems in Charlottesville and the response to Charlottesville where the Economic Council was disbanded in response to to what Trump said in response to Charlottesville. Then they made up. You also saw uh, Gary Cohen have a, a public problem with Trump's tweets. And now, I guess, the straw that broke the camel's back, Trump issuing tariffs on the importing of steel and aluminum leaving many free trade proponents uh, pretty upset. And Gary Cohen, the former president of Goldman Sachs, is headed back to Goldman Sachs. I guess that was enough for him with the uh, with the tariffs that are going to be imposed. Now, is this fair? Is, this, is Donald Trump doing something that he uh, said he would do during his campaign promise? And I say, yes, it is. Laura Ingram made the point that these proponents of free trade had the last 25 years to get this right had the last 25 years of uh, free trade to get the uh, basically get the system even to where the U.S. is not at a disadvantage and we are not losing money and paying tax dollars uh, to help other countries import and export goods, which is exactly what we're doing. We're losing money in what we're doing. And, and uh, like President Trump has said, why are we outsourcing our steel and, and aluminum manufacturing from other countries when it can be generated here, and we see this today, U.S. steel uh, restarting plant operations amid tariff plans, and there's a, a plant that is looking to bring in 500 manufacturing jobs to manufacture steel. 
just like we've seen the U.S. become the top uh, exporter of gasoline, where we were the number one importer, we have turned that around to become the number one exporter and producer of oil. And I think if uh, President Trump does what he says he's going to do, companies are going to be getting uh, incentives and other tax and economic breaks for using and uh, manufactured steel here in the U.S. rather than shipping it in. And that's the way it should be. When he talks about the American First platform, this is what he's talking about. Why look to other countries to fill quotas on, on things we need when we have the ability, the manpower, and the resources to produce it here ourselves, which will also help people and it'll help the job market and the economy. So I think that is a very good thing we are doing. Now, we haven't seen any policies enacted yet, but that those will be coming. Many people in the media are blaming his, uh, his attempted policies on these tariffs for the stock market over the last few days falling significantly. I think yesterday it fell almost 300 points and today it was down. But as many have said, Stephen Menking on the Hagman Report and the Hagman Daily Show today said that the stock market is already overinflated. It's, it's overvalued at the moment. So when we see these corrections or, or these, uh, I guess short downturns, this is not necessarily because of something Trump might do on the tariffs of steel and aluminum. So that's something we're going to continue to to watch and report on as it is a big deal. And I guarantee more manufacturing jobs and uh, more manufacturing plants will spring up if these tariffs are implemented. And it has a lot of people angry, and we still are, are talking about the renegotiating of NAFTA and what benefits America will see from those negotiations, leaving Mexico and Canada and their presidents very upset as to the possibilities of what might happen. So we're going to be covering that. Also, when we come back from the break, we're going to be talking about the story of the federal government suing the sanctuary state of California and the California Attorney it's General. It's on. Yeah. It's on. And also, I want to I want to give you an update about the Awan criminal cabal, the spying in Congress. I've got to tell you. Uh, some things are, are moving to expose that. So having said that, we you are listening to this edition of the Hagman Report. My mind's still in February because the weather out there <laughs> looks like is. February, but it's actually March 7th, 2018. I want to thank again from the bottom of our hearts, everyone. By the way, on the Hagman Report, HagmanReport.com, we're trying something new, opening up a daily thread for your comments. Participate. Yeah. Participate. Come we'll on about in. the website on the other side yes. because Eric has done some really fantastic things reorganizing it, and we'll lay that out for you when we come back. You're listening to this Wednesday edition of the Hagman Report. I know people out there, uh, some of the people out there, the people that have been lobotomized by the liberal fascists, believe what people like Nancy Pelosi have been saying, but this is just over the top. If you haven't seen this, she is not saying really anything. Well, you know, that's true. Um, there, there, there has to be, I mean, there's some word salads in there. 
that I've I've heard. Have but, to cut the grass to keep the immigrants out. Well, you know, I, yeah, I mean, it, it, but but when, really, when it comes down to it, it's not funny. No. And, and 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 I really am interested how she refuses to answer the question about her wealth. That there's really and and you well, and I, all of us know this. That. Well, I mean, all of us know that that these are public servants, and, and I suppose you know, as opposed to looking at government employees, whether you're in the Senate or in the House of Representatives or whether you're in the upper tier of the executive branch or the whatever branch of government. These are public servants. How many of us really, you know, comprehend that? But yet Pelosi, in her mind, believes that that she is of some royalty, but even worse than that is the self-enrichment through government service and these unending term limits. By the way, before the uh, break, I had mentioned, and Joe, you had mentioned this as well, what we're doing is every day um, near the start of the day, we're going to have a, a uh, an open thread, so to speak. And um, today I used a, a photo of the day from Steve Quayle, stevequayle.com, and, and it just said, you know, to share your thoughts, have your say. This is something that I think is kind of neat. So at, at Hagman Report, just go to hagmanreport.com and start your day out with perhaps uh, have your say and make a comment, engage in conversation, stimulate the uh, stimulate the discussion. We need to jumpstart this, and I appreciate everyone who has gone in there and and uh, made a comment and and said, you know, for example, said at their say. So we're giving you a platform, a popular platform, to do that. So again, watch every day for the open thread at HagmanReport.com. Just contribute, enjoy, and and again, have your say. But again, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi, she issued this. This unbelievable statement today attacking Donald Trump, attacking the Trump administration for bringing suit, as you had alluded to earlier, against the state of California for enacting laws that interfere with federal enforcement of the immigration laws, which are under the Constitution, which under the Constitution are, in fact, the responsibility of federal government. You cannot get any more insane than this. And in her statement, she referred to illegal aliens who would be deported if the Trump administration succeeded in enforcing immigration law. What Pelosi said was that they make America more American. <laughs> yeah. They're all going to be doctors and lawyers, too. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Wait, uh, I, I get it now. See, this is the problem with the immigration issue that nobody ever talks about. This is a... a we're talking about an, uh, two different things. One, legal immigration. Legal immigration, a pathway to citizenship where uh, nobody in the left or the right-wing media have I have ever heard oppose legal immigration. But, but, but this statement is directed toward illegals. But see, they don't make the distinction. And when they Oh, she did in this one. When they confuse, you know, when they try to portray... Uh, blanket amnesty, somebody being against blanket amnesty as being against illegal immigration. They're doing a huge disservice and, and it's a, a deceitful tactic that the news media likes to use when they, you know, put these panels together and have political pundits come on and argue that if you are against amnesty for, you know, these millions of illegals or people who are here illegally, then somehow you're anti-American and you're a- against 
how this country was founded. But nobody makes the distinction that blanket amnesty is basically a, a cheating shortcut to the legal immigration system. If you want to expand legal immigration, that's a, another conversation. But don't try to wrap blanket amnesty and the incentive, incentivizing illegal immigrants to be here by granting them blanket citizenship as some sort of, uh, you know, normal immigration policy. Because it's not. Those are two separate arguments. But they conflate the language and the terminology and they twist it. But as you said, they're just saying, okay, illegal yeah, immigration yeah, yes. is, is, uh, you know, you, there's no such thing as illegal immigration because nobody's illegal. Well, and, and people need to sense. understand this because the Department of Justice, Jeff Sessions, he, the Department of Justice filed a legal action against the state of California against the governor of California, Jerry Brown, and the attorney general of California, Xavier Becerra, seeking both declaratory and injunctive relief based upon the enactment and implementation of certain provisions of three California laws. All right, if you live in California, this applies to you, and nationwide, it really applies to everyone. And in in at issue is Assembly Bill 450, Senate Bill 54, and Assembly Bill 103, which intentionally obstruct and uh, discriminate against the enforcement of federal immigration law. So you've got this rogue element within communist, or, you know, what is it, California, this rogue element there. Who are who are giving the the middle finger to the federal government, saying you cannot enforce federal law in our state. Now, the last time I checked, the U.S. Constitution, if it's in the Constitution or if it's provided by the or even limited by the Constitution, that takes precedent over the state functions. And we're not yes, against state sovereignty. State sovereignty no, so no, no. It has nothing to do with right. that. That's a fallacious that's argument. It is, because states, when you start going uh, into unconstitutional and, and unlawful areas, that is not applicable. State sovereignty is not applicable. Uh, that's where the federal law takes over. And many people right. make the argument that, well, states can do what they want, but not when it pertains to national security and border security and all these other things that are yeah, in th- our country. Th- this is not a states' rights issue. And, and I mentioned the three um, uh, three bills at issue or the three laws at issue. And, and when you look at uh, AB 450, that bill, I mean, all of this enacted during the Obama era, that bill uh, prohibits private employers. It would be it would be like us operating in California. That would prevent, prohibit us from voluntarily cooperating with federal immigration enforcement officials. Okay, you've got a federal enforce, law enforcement officials on one side, and you've got a state official on the other side. You're put in the middle. AB 450 prohibits private employers from voluntary, voluntarily cooperating. You talk about the essence of, of, uh, socialism at its core. And you've got people applauding the fact that, oh, we can, we, we cannot, we don't have to, uh, listen to the federal government. Senate Bill 54, that restricts state and local law enforcement officials from providing information to the feds mm-hmm. Doesn't even uh, about it? the release of uh, release date of, of illegal immigrants of, of criminals who are in their custody. Like it's happened, and, and they've gone out to commit additional egregious crimes. And and 
One one of the bills criminalizes when ICE raids are conducted or immigration enforcement is conducted, any employer who turns over information on the status, legal status of their employees could face criminal prosecution and fines under California law. Right. So this is, we're watching this very carefully to see how this plays out. This is something that um, that really is so critically important for everyone really to, to, to watch. And I do believe this will play out. And, and I think justice in this case will prevail. But to see this take place at the expense of the law-abiding legal immigrants and the law-abiding citizens of the state of California. It is a shame, and I would be, to Governor Jerry Brown, you should be ashamed of yourself, and all of those who support this lawlessness out there should be ashamed of themselves. Before we get any further, you know, I want to welcome a, a new sponsor of ours, and that is for hymns.com that's forhymns.com in fact right now go to forhymns.com/hh and just in case you're questioning the spelling of that of course it is f o r h i m s.com/hh and this is something uh, this is a brand this is a new wellness brand for men and I, i've got to tell you something um, you know, I was talking with a friend of mine, and it just—it was very serendipitous how this happened. We were talking about issues, the ranging from uh, the health care, what it covers, and doctors' visits, and I mean, we had a, a, a pretty long discussion. This, in fact, his name is named Steve, not Steve Quill, but a friend of mine, Steve. And, and uh, we were—he we, we, was looking for, and, and this is a true story. He was looking for a, a better way of handling certain issues that he had. And it was at that time, it was during that time, when I was introduced, uh, uh, introduced to forhims.com. And I looked into it and I said, man, this is, this is a great service. And in fact, I had my friend Steve in mind. And, uh, think about this, folks. Men, I'm talking to you, you guys out there now. 66% of men begin losing their hair by age 35. Hey, Steve, you're not that far beyond 35, and man, yeah, you know what we talked about. You kind of fit that. Do you fit that? You know, if you reach out and put your hands on your head, and you and you feel, well, man, not quite what it used to be, right? If, guys, it's easier to keep your hair, the hair that you have, than replace the hair that you've lost. And, and why do guys turn to weird solutions? You know, and you've all seen it, and I'm sure some of you out there, you know what I'm talking about, the weird, odd things, when they can turn instead to medicine and science. Well, I found this company, 4Hims, that's 4Hims.com. It's a one-stop shop for hair loss, for skin care. This is for guys, for sexual wellness. It's all for men. Medical-grade solutions. Real doctors offering well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. There's, we're not talking about herbal supplements here or prescription. Uh, uh, we're, we're talking prescription solutions backed by science. All right, but 
they do this in such a way where you don't have to go. This is kind of like a, a, a concierge kind of a service, concierge doctor. Remember that show, Royal Pains? Well, this is kind of, that's kind of the way it feels to me. This is a fantastic service because there's no waiting room. There's no awkward doctor visits. You can save hours by going to forhims.com slash hh. All you've got to do is answer a few quick questions. The doctor will review and prescribe you whatever is necessary. And the prescription, the, 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 it comes directly to your door. And you know, I was really, I was, uh, really had to find out about, about this sponsor. I was able to speak with the co-founder myself. And that by itself is impressive. And we spoke, he explained the whole service. I would urge everyone to go to forhims.com slash HH. You guys out there, go there. Forhims.com slash HH. And here's what we worked out. And I'm being very serious when I spoke with the co-founder. Here's what we worked out. Order now. Our listeners get a trial month of everything you need to keep your hair for just $5 today, right now. But supplies are limited. See the website for the full details. Now this would this would cost really hundreds of dollars if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. So guys, I'm talking to you. Check this out. Take my recommendation. Go to forhims.com slash hh. That's forhims.com slash hh. Forhims slash hh. There it is. Wanna go over quickly what Jerry Brown has said in response yes. to Jeff Sessions and Donald Trump suing California. Okay, Trump basically going to war with California, Jerry Brown says. Listen to what he says. This is basically going to war against the state of California, the engine of the American economy, Brown said. It's not wise, it's not right, and it will not stand. Governor Jerry Brown on Wednesday slammed U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions for initiating a reign of terror against immigrants in California. Sessions filed a suit against the state over three new laws, which you went over, that protect immigrants living in California illegally, and it argues, he argues it violates the supremacy clause of the U.S. Constitution, and it interferes with federal immigration enforcement. It's, it's about dividing America, Brown said, adding that Sessions was acting more like Fox News than the country's top law enforcement official. I call upon him to apologize to the people of California for bringing Washington to California and trying to insert discord and division, and I might add dysfunctionality in the state that's really working. Really working, huh, Jerry Brown? Uh, Brown goes on to say that President, uh, President Trump is unhappy with Jerry Brown, and Jerry Brown goes on to point out that Trump's under investigation <laughs> with the possible collusion between Donald Trump and Russia. Anyway, back to what is important here. As you mentioned, Senate Bill 54, Assembly Bill 103, and Assembly Bill 450, three laws that Sessions sued over, restrict California law enforcement officials from cooperating on federal immigration actions, limit the ability of local jails to uh, contact with the federal government to house immigrant detainees, and requires employees to ask for a warrant before allowing immigration authorities to conduct a workplace raid. Commonly known as the Sanctuary State, SB Law 54 has been by far the most controversial 
In its lawsuit, the government argued it, it, it that does, it forces it, release. It, it violates 8 U.S.C. 1373 of the of the uh, of the. Uh, Code of the United States. Again, it violates 8 U.S.C. 1373. I want to throw that in there yeah. in case the, the purists out there are wondering, well, wait a minute, how does this really affect us? So go continue, please. Well, we make this argument all the time, and this is what is so frustrating in the uh, American political system today. You have, especially in California, the people like Nancy Pelosi, the people like Maxine Waters, the Diane Feinsteins, the Jerry Browns. They refuse to stand for the American flag. They refuse to stand for God in our schools. They refuse to stand for uh, anything that is American. They stand only against Donald Trump and only for illegal immigration. And it is really a tough place to be in this country politically when you see the same people who pretend and, and display that they have the moral high ground, that being the political and media establishment and Hollywood elites. They have this moral high ground, yet they oppose any and everything that is good for this country, trying to bring it to its knees with socialist socialism and socialist ideals by protecting illegal immigrants and giving them actual preferred status over American citizens and taxpayers. They want to use taxpayer dollars against their own citizens, and it is the reason that Donald Trump was elected president. He was elected president as an outsider to really overthrow the status quo in Washington. And we're seeing that now. And how far will this battle go? We have seen Jeff Sessions and Jerry Brown call this a war. Yeah. Jerry Brown has said this is a reign of terror against immigrants in California. So what are the, I mean, how does this play out? Does the California stop giving the federal government its, you know, tax money? Uh, you know, the federal tax money that it's supposed to collect with every transaction. Do you see, uh, travel restrictions? We've already seen California. I think there's five states that they're not allowed to do business with because of their transgender and other, uh, anti-immigration laws, Texas being one of those. How far is this going? How far is this battle gonna, gonna be fought? Until, I mean, what's gonna happen? How's this gonna play out? Is this not part of the balkanization process of, yeah. of America? Yeah. You, you know, making a country, Michael Savage, like him or hate him, but he's right on this, uh, borders, language, yeah. and culture, that makes a country. And when you bring in these illegals or allow these illegals to come in and you've got to follow the money, who's getting paid on this? Who, who the, the people who are bringing illegals in, in wholesale numbers, you find these Catholic uh, ventures. Now, I'm not picking on Catholics, but nonetheless, the, these Catholic uh, entities who are responsible in large part for bringing in these illegals, and they get paid per per head. And so, so you've got that. But when you start following the money, and, and then you, you start seeing how the money is dispersed and who is who's bringing in these people, the entities, and how this is affecting the society in general we can go into and we have gone into different uh communities for example in upstate new york where you've got these serbian areas the the <laughs> somalian areas Ethiopian areas you, it, it's and it's it, they're like these own little communities that's mm-hmm. right so there there is now I understand because I grew up in a city where, oh, we had a part of the city you called it Little Italy or Remember Germany. In New, Jersey, yeah. in New Jersey, they had that little Middle Eastern area yeah, yeah. where we went into the stores and they had the great pastries that you liked so much. Exactly. 
and there's something to be said about this multicultural that's positive through legal immigration. But when you've got the intentional balkanization of our country, this is what Governor Brown is doing. And, And while, meanwhile, thumbing their noses collectively at the legal immigrants and saying, it doesn't matter. So what? You waited five years and did it the right, right way. We're going to protect the, the people who are uh, who are meaningful to us, and that's the masses of people that they've brought in. And, and it's all tied together with the wars too. Then the multiculturalism—it's got that, that word has gotten a really bad rap because of what what we see, which is forced multiculturalism. But what you just described to to see, and this is what it made does make America great—to have these little areas where. Uh, immigrants come over and they're in certain parts of the communities, yet they do assimilate and become part of a, of society where you can go to the little Italy and get, you know, some authentic, uh, uh, pasta or, or, you know, whatever. Uh, it it wasn't like go, that in the, in the, in the days before this. But, I mean, it, it wasn't, it, but this it was, is some of the it was positive. a positive thing, right? But, but you had, they paid a price. They went through the system. Right. They were vetted, and they were brought in. Yes, some even even in our hometown. Yeah, you had that you know Italian language still spoken at home, but when the children went to school, they they abandoned that language. Well, meaning perhaps talking that language at home, but they they assimilated with other children in school. And that's being the able to go to a, a you know an Indian restaurant or a Chinese restaurant or. I don't know how many people enjoy going in the summer. What we have here are, you know, different festivals, whether it's the Greek Fest or uh, the Cherry Festival, where you get, uh, you know, these different uh, ethnicities putting on parades and, and whatnot and, you know, sharing their, their cuisine ideas and, and whatnot. I, I think that, that it adds a lot but, to but, our society. Yeah, but when you that's try to complimentary. force it, right. when, when you're bringing in people by the thousands and tens of thousands and, you know, basically creating small countries of these people's ethnicity in in big cities. I remember being in in Buffalo. I couldn't even order a coffee because I didn't speak Spanish. And this was in Buffalo, New York, uh, in one restaurant, in one apparently strange shift uh, when I found myself there. That's when it becomes a problem, when the people do not assimilate, when the people do not become part of the American culture and system of government and pay taxes and uh, become citizens. And, and another problem we see, especially with uh, people from Mexico, you know how much money is sent, American money is sent back? That's a big problem. Billions and billions of dollars every year. And, you know, I, what, what can you say when people want to help their families out? But when people are abusing the systems, getting coming here, be, being put on welfare, being given taxpayer uh, money, and advantages that regular citizens in need in this country are not given, and turning around and sending that money back to their families in other countries, we're not doing ourselves any favors. And then when you have these politicians who stand for nothing that makes America great, but only against what is trying to make America great, and for the illegal immigrants, and standing for an abortion and nothing else, this is the divide. This is the problem. Yep, yep. And uh, we, we we need to really understand what's happening here, because are we not now... In the same position we were pre-Civil War, in the sense that you've got the the states, in particular California in this case, putting aside the issue, whatever the issue is, in this case illegal immigration, but putting that aside, you do have this standoff between the federal government and, and the state of California. 
this is ex- but but this is what the marxists the liberal fascists this is what they have been salivating for they want to exert their control it's not really and and please understand it's not about states rights that's a fallacious straw man argument this is about the fundamental change that wasn't completed under Obama, that they're pushing through. They've been emboldened by a Marxist. They've been emboldened by a Muslim Marxist. That's right, I said that. They've been emboldened by the appointed, uh, those who he appointed, and even changing the complexion of the society. So this is about pitting one state against the federal government, and watch this carefully. Because this, again, we are looking at, and, and how many people, how many news outlets are really getting into this? Uh, we've been reporting on this in the run-up to this, but now that this is actually kind of, there's a face-off here. Now, now, okay, now we're going to report on it. It's really too late, so we, we have to get ahead of the other states uh, and really educate people on what's going on so they can take a stand before something like, like this happens in, heck, North Carolina or, or whatever state. So, uh, Joe, I mean, I, I, that's yeah. where we're at here. Well, we are closing out the, this segment. I want to bring your attention to something I find very humorous. We talk about how the left hates God, removing God from school, wants to take in God we trust off of our money. Governor Cuomo of New York gave an interview on Wednesday and said this, God asks if you've been a good progressive when you get to the pearly gates. Governor Andrew Cuomo on Wednesday touted his progressive record by saying God would find it more impressive than that of New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio. I, I don't now, even I'm know what that means. so funny because anybody, anybody who understands Scripture and has studied Jesus knows that you don't compare yourself one to another. But to compare yourself to say that God would love you or, or think you're better, a better progressive than Mayor de Bill de Blasio. I don't know that you're really... But, but, but see, I, I think... What God I think, are I think, they talking about? I think, about? like, the Vatican would agree with them. Yeah, but what God are they talking well, about? Well, that's, that's a not good point. not the Bible, that's for sure. And if it is, he might want to rethink his statements there. But you can go to the Washington Free Beacon and check out the audio clip that is up there of Governor Cuomo saying this in an interview. When we come back, we're going to be joined by radio show host and author Josh Tolley of The Josh Tolley Show... And don't forget, HagmanReport.com. Eric has really set this up nice. You have two sections under the, the scrolling banner. Exclusive reports, that is original content. In other news, is a tab right next to it. That is the curated content. Check them both daily. We'll be right back. Well, thank you so much for your belief and your trust in us. You know, we are in a, uh, in a really a lot of ways, uncharted territory. Yeah, the times in which we live are so critical. And I think the decisions that we make individually and together that we make right now are going to have a lasting effect on the trajectory of our nation and each one of us individually. And, and I, you know, I was, uh, I've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes and, and, you know, it, it's something we have to stick together and, um, really confront those. 
again, I, I, I point back to Coach Dave Dobmeyer saying, you know, we're not going to win on, uh, by playing defense all the time. And that's so true. So you've basically, um, for better or for worse, you've asked us or you've we've found ourselves in a position to run point on certain things, and that's exactly what we're doing. Because when we look at the, what do we see? We, we look at the this ideological divide in this nation. This nation is divided along social lines. You're seeing the uh, anti-first and anti-second amendment people, and they're one and the same. You're seeing them uh, constantly on the offensive. And you're seeing conservatives constantly on the defensive. You're, you're seeing the pro-Islamic groups constantly on the offensive. And the Christians and the Jews together constantly on the defensive. You're seeing the progressive liberal fascists constantly on the, on the, on the offensive. Meanwhile, the conservatives, and in some cases you might, you might call them Republicans, although we know that that term is antiquated, they're constantly on the defensive. That's got to change. We've got to stand up and say, no, you know what? We can, number one, we can win on the numbers and we can make the change. We can bring our country back. We can be supportive of the policies of President Trump where they are applied to uh, giving us more freedom. And we can call them out and say, look, that's not good. This is good. That's not good. So, for example, what we saw recently with respect to the crackdown on illegal immigration, you know, get behind the president when it's uh, when it's for the uh, the freedom, the freedoms that we enjoy as a nation. We have to get behind those of of the people that we put in office who are implementing uh, or protecting our rights and implementing laws that advance those rights. So otherwise. And equally, we have to be vocal against the people who are against those. And I, I remember this vividly. I was, we were, Joe and I were on a, a panel with our guest now, Josh Tully. And let me tell you something. Uh, Joe, Josh Tully is a, uh, a man, and I don't want to oversell like I'm overstate. Yeah, he's a guy. Okay, thank you for that. I don't want to overstate this, but he's a man that, that just exudes uh, this vibrant energy uh, of of positive, um, you can do it kind of thing. You know, he'd be the kind of guy that if there was a battle going on, I want to be on his side. And there is a battle going on, and we are on his side, thankfully. He's an author, he's a talk show host, but Joe, bring him on in because I, I really yeah. like Josh, and I remember being on that panel with him. And I remember, I don't remember the question, but I remember the response by Josh Tully. And it was so, like, right on the money. I remember the question and the response. Okay. It was about government's intervention into marriage and uh, government That was it. Marriage. Yes, thank you. And, uh, yeah, we have with us author and radio show host Josh Tolley. He's the author of Evangelpreneur. I see it on the shelf right over there. Yes, it, yeah, uh, we've got it's a great not book. far from us. But a, a good friend of the show, and it's been a while since we've had him on. Uh, Josh, welcome back to the show. I want to start with uh, the YouTube censorship and alternative media censorship as you are uh, a big part of the alternative media but welcome back to the Hagman Report oh it is always great to talk to you guys and I'm so glad that I'm on your side in this war amen to that and as my dad said we're glad that 
we are on your side as well. And it's good to see you up on, up on the video there. Uh, I don't know if you were on video last time that we had you on, but it, it's, it's great to see you. How has married life been? Last time we talked, you just got married. That's right. Yeah, I did just get married. Now we are expecting our first child, uh, awesome. August, first week of August. Uh, so that's, that's fun and exciting. And it's, it's everything that it's cracked up to be and more. Well, congratulations to both of you on that. Uh, that's, that's just fabulous. And then here we go. Thanks, Dad. We have the book, Evangelpreneur. This is a fantastic book. How biblical free enterprise can empower your faith, family, and freedom. And Josh does a number of seminars and, and classes, and we can talk about that in a little bit. Josh, have you been affected by the YouTube censorship? Oh, big time. Yeah. Uh, we got, we got completely demonetized. Uh, we went from a very healthy, you know, high four, five figures a month to nothing. And it happened just like that. It went, it went overnight. And, uh, we filed appeals and that didn't work. And then we somehow mysteriously saw our uh, videos banned from other social media platforms. Uh, things like, uh, Facebook, Twitter, you know, people would try to post those, those videos and it, it just wouldn't share. I mean, mm-hmm. you'd get an air message that would come up. And then we would have like 700 views and, you know, you'd go back and look at the, uh, the traffic and it'd be like, you know, two people or something. And it's nuts as you can actually see it. We used to be able to post a video, no joke, post anything we wanted to. And within hours it would have 20,000 views just because of the number of subscribers we have. And now we're getting reports from people who are like, man, I'm not even getting the updates that you're subscribing. I hit the little bell. That didn't help either. And it's it's crazy what has happened to us on YouTube. Yeah, we see the same things as you said, and this is one of the, some of the areas of the YouTube censorship that we don't really talk about. But one, the inability to share videos or getting error messages on you know Twitter or Facebook uh, in attempt to, to share videos using the share function on, from the YouTube. Sometimes I've seen people send me screenshots where they're trying to share via email. And it says, you know, the uh, content is unavailable in this country or you're, you can't share this video this way and just really weird stuff. But we also have the same problem, uh, people being unsubscribed from our channel, people not being able to find the live stream. Oh, and the numbers. Yeah, the numbers. The numbers on the back side, you could see tens of thousands of views. And, and on the front side, you know, 700. It, it's, yep. it's almost like, really? Yeah. Wow. Anyway. Go on. And it's increasing. And then Facebook and Twitter are now getting involved. And we have recently learned that YouTube is hiring tens of thousands of new moderators from the Anti-Defamation League and the Southern Poverty Law Center in order to, to uh, label and identify what they say are is extremist or controversial content. But, I mean, I, I, I am just amazed. Just in this, we, we saw this two-step process. First, as you said, about a year ago, this it was the campaign of demonetizations it just demonetize any and everything uh, companies pulling all their ads off what they deemed controversial content now it has ramped up into a new phase which is just issuing blanket strikes community guideline strikes and removal mm-hmm. of channels and a lot of people are dealing with that and this is just yeah, uh, straight out censorship josh i hopefully that you won't find this offensive nor will the audience but i call this uh, you know strikes but no balls okay oh yeah you know i, I mean really when are we going to learn but go ahead sir um yeah mm. 
Yes. Well, and it's 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 really you know it's interesting. We talked about this months and months and months ago. Uh, matter of fact, I think the last time I was on the show, on how this whole war on fake news was going to backfire, and people didn't believe me. I remember being on your show, and people were like, "No, he's just trying to hate on Trump." And I said, "No, it has nothing to do with Trump." I said, "Just watch. You're going to see this war on fake news actually come after us, and they're going to use every excuse they can." And they're going to start pulling us down. And that's exactly what happened. And, you know, people just, there's this, this almost, uh, I wouldn't even call it normalcy bias. There's this denial that goes on. Like they're, they're afraid to, to fall for something that's fear mongering, so they won't believe anything. And that's a very dangerous place to be because things are happening and it's happening at such a fast and escalating pace. I mean, just 24 months ago, most churches were opposed to gay marriage. Most Christians were opposed to transgender, you know, fill in the blank, LGBTQQIAXPA, whatever. But since then, most churches are now for gay marriage. Most Christians are thinking there's nothing wrong with uh, with transsexual issues, even though we used to call it a mental disorder. I remember 24 months ago, I had a transvestite on the show who said, yes, this is a mental disorder. I was wrong. I shouldn't have cut parts of my body off. But now we're haters, if we even point that out. And we have a new aircraft carrier that has removed all the urinals because how dare we use math and science and biology when it comes to constructing something that men and women are going to potentially sacrifice their lives for our freedom on. I mean, it, it, it's ridiculous. Who builds a billion-dollar boat and then purposely leaves off urinals to not offend somebody? That, to me, is offensive. Yeah, it is. And, and this whole hyper-emotionalism that we're witnessing and, and the reaction uh, that we see, it, it, no more common sense and logic and reason as no. as you talk about. It is you know, all based on, on this political correct uh, you know, ideology. And this is to, to create chaos in our society. And as, as you pointed out, the transgenderism, this, this gender bending, gender dystorphia is a mental disorder. The same thing, we, we've seen this in the psychological manuals, the DSM-4 and whatnot. And now we are being labeled as haters for pointing it out that these people are inflicting harm. The, the media is intentionally promoting this mental disorder as some kind of healthy sexual social behavior, and it's ruining lives. And what's really un- unfortunate and sad about it is they're, attack- they're using this to attack children. No longer is it just adults making their own choices about their gender. They're forcing this onto children as young as four and five years old, making it part of the curriculums in schools, and this is where it becomes so dangerous. And they're doing this to create a generation of people uh, that that will conform to this new world order, one world society, when the time is right. Oh, absolutely, and it's not it's it, it it's not just political correctness anymore. I mean, we're talking about legalities. There are teachers getting in trouble in the UK for saying, "Okay, now girls behave in an all girls school," and how dare you call them girls? How dare you assume their gender? I'm not kidding. This is real. Now in California, if you're in a nursing home as an employee and you refer to a resident in a non-appropriate gender pronoun of their choosing, and of course that can, according to them, change by the hour as gender is now fluid, you are legally liable for this. So what this is really doing is neutering this country. If, if you have a bad dog, what does your vet tell you to do? Neuter him. Once you neuter him, he's going to calm down. 
Well, that's exactly what we're doing. And, it, you know, I'm not even saying that to be funny. That's exactly what we're doing. We're literally neutering. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting because 24 months ago, this wasn't even something that the lesbian and gay community agreed with. I remember having them on the show saying, no, 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 no. And I'm not endorsing this. I'm just saying what they said. They said, no, if if, if you prefer, uh, you know, to have a sexual partner of your same gender, that's one thing. But this whole idea of chopping something off, and look at how far this has come, guys. Remember, what was it, three years ago, maybe even two years ago, we had that lady who was part of the NAACP, and she pretended to be black. The entire world erupted, like, how dare you? That's so inappropriate. Now, just three weeks ago, there was a story about how we have to protect and defend racial transitioning. What? So now even that community went nuts and said, oh, yeah, if you want to change your gender, just go for it. This, this is rapidly escalating, where a year from now, I really don't know where we're going to be. Yeah, maybe things will change so much they'll go back to normal in, in a year from now. <laughs> but, 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 okay, I just want to ask this question. Um, are, are we going to, you, you mentioned about being penalized, um, actually uh, charged for using the wrong pronoun. Yep. Is, is this where we're, we're headed? Uh, obviously, the, I guess the answer is yes, but uh, how, how does that play out? And, and it doesn't, what, what he this? said is because a, a person can decide Right now, right, that they're right. a woman, and in ten right, minutes they're a man. So you yeah. could be uh, offending somebody, you know, uh, one minute and then not the next minute, or vice versa, because it is a fluid situation. But but, but 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 how does that? But Josh, out? yeah, I mean, walk me through the the. What do you get a ticket in the mail? I mean, <laughs> seriously, I, I don't know. Well, it depends. Yeah, you, you you get a fine, and if you don't pay the fine, then you go to jail. You know, just like any other sort of rule, code, law, regulation, or ordinance. But we've just seen this in Ohio where the judge took away a child from parents' custody yeah. because the parents didn't go along with the transgender that the, the child wanted to go with. So now think about that. You are setting precedent, legal precedent, to take children out of homes if the parents don't agree that little Sally is actually little Billy today, but tomorrow she could be Z, the non-binary gender fluid entity, and they would have to be okay with that too. This is this is getting crazy. So as this plays out, what are you really going to see? You're going to see a world where you become illegal. You're going to see that. I mean, even after they, they did the um, lawsuits against the Christian bakers, you had churches, at least around where I live in St. Louis, limit the number of weddings that they'll do in a church and requiring that you're a member, and some of them requiring that you're a member for a year. That way they make sure you're not just a plant. Because what was happening is you had gay couples going to churches saying, hey, we want to get married here. And as soon as the, the church said no, based on that reason, because it's part of their religious belief, then they would throw a lawsuit at them. So now the church says, well, you have to be a member, and that gives them a little bit of time to, to kind of vet that out. But the reality is that we went from the majority two years ago to now becoming illegal. And there's two problems with this. One, for decades we heard that we were the silent majority. That's the problem. We were silent. If you really want to look at who to blame here, mm -hmm. it's us. The second thing with this is people have this idea, well, now that Trump's in office, all's going to get better. No, it's not, because this is not being fought out in D.C. It's being fought out in living rooms and dens and 
preschools, for goodness sakes, my little my little nephew in preschool had to go through gender uh, sensitivity class because there was a two-year-old or a three-year-old who wanted to be a girl or a boy or whatever the opposite of what they were born was. Come on. <laughs> when I was three years old, I wanted to be a wolf. Like, why are we doing this? But we're getting to this point where you are going to become illegal. And they're asking kids at home, well, are your mom and dad opposed to transgenderism or gender fluidity? We already know they're asking, does your mom and dad have guns at home? I'm telling you, we have become the minority in our own country rapidly. And it's because most believers are not really believers. And most of us just quietly sat by and thought, well, something else will happen. This is America. Okay, great. And just like we saw with the Florida shooting, how well did that work out? You know, you hear all these people saying, well, we're never going to get rid of our guns. What's happening? You have Republican after Republican after Republican saying, well, let's get rid of the guns. This is a good idea. We've never, here's the point, we've never moved more conservative. And I'm not necessarily talking about politically. I'm just talking about morally. This country's never moved more moral. We just slowly, slowly, slowly move to the left. And until we fix that, we're just going to see more of this. I, I, I call it dance steps. The music's playing, and we're dancing. And as long as the music's playing and we're still here, well, we're still here. There's going to be another dance step. You said a lot of things there, Josh. And, and let me ask you first: Do you really believe? Is it that we are the minority, or is it that the minority has the appearance of being the majority because of the platforms that they have, because they have Hollywood behind them, because they have the media and political establishment behind them, or are are they really the minority? Let me ask you a question. Does the Bible say, be hearers of the word? No. No. It says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. When we have church after church after church, and I ran into this over and over again during the presidential election cycle, church after church was saying, no, 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 we're not going to talk about politics here because, well, one, we think that's going to violate our 501c3, you shouldn't be a 501c3, but even if you are, it's not going to violate it. There's never been any church. There was one that was kind of brought up, but even that was dismissed. So, no. The real reason pastors don't want to talk about the, the cultural and moral issues is because they know they're going to lose their congregation and therefore lose a bunch of money. That's what it really is. I have emails from some of the best-known pastors in the country telling me point-blank in the email, Josh, I would love to say something. But if I do that, I'll lose half the congregation and all my support. So it's called golden handcuffs. Two, when we polled Christians 24 months ago, they were opposed to gay marriage. The latest polls now say they're in favor of it. So even within our silent majority, we've become the minority. And that's the problem. You know, we might love to tell ourselves, well, there's hundreds of millions of Americans out there that are still true blue American sort of Americans. And that's why Trump won. Sorry, Jack, that doesn't work. Half of eligible voters didn't even vote, and so you're really looking at a quarter of the country turning out. That makes it, again, the minority. But even amongst that group, I have run into so many Republicans who think that, well, Trump's in office, that's all we have to do. In the gun industry, they called it the Trump slump. I was just at SHOT Show a few weeks ago in Vegas. That's what they're calling it, because so many people... We're thinking, well, you know, if, if Hillary's going to be in office, we need to buy more guns. Remington just declared bankruptcy. If you read the article as to why, 
They were gearing up for a Hillary presidency, investing in, in stores and equipment and materials. Well, that has happened to gun maker, gun ranges, all the above. And because, again, we saw that the majority was actually the minority. We think, well, we'll just elect the right person and we don't have to do anything. Yeah, that is, that is a huge problem. And we've seen this same trend, Josh, with, uh, you know, survival companies and preparation, uh, food preparation companies. Yep. Where they have seen huge hits in, in their, uh, sales because people think, well, you know, Donald Trump's the president. We don't have anything to worry about. All will be fixed. And as you pointed out, uh, as good as Donald Trump and his agenda is, there is not one man who can fix this problem. It takes each and every individual to get involved to do this. But back to what you said about the golden handcuffs. And I already know what your answer is going to be. But see, this is what bothers me about these pastors. And, and I guess this can be said for politicians. Would a pastor rather have a congregation, a full house, a full congregation, and, you know, that quota coming in on money, with money, yet be accountable to God for not telling his flock the truth? Or would he rather tell the truth and, and at least be, be vindicated in the eyes of the Lord for doing so and losing half of his congregation temporarily and half the money? You'd think the answer would be obvious, that the pastor would want to do the right thing. And this is what bothers me so much. The churches are the ones now that are becoming apostate and promoting this immorality. They're the ones that are accepting the homosexual marriage. I saw an article about a pastor in New Jersey in Hoboken in a Catholic parish where a pastor underwent a re, a gender reassignment surgery and was welcomed back into the church with a celebratory mass celebrating him as renaming himself Peter as pastor of this church. But you call it the golden handcuffs. I can't think of one pastor worth their salt that would put up with that. Well, that's the problem. They're not worth their salt. And I'm not saying it's all pastors. Not at all. Not at all. No. We have hundreds of thousands of churches. So there are some great pastors out there, and you've had some of them on your show. I'm just talking about as a whole, there is no denying pew poll after pew poll or uh, um, Barna Research Group. doesn't matter where you look. There's no denying that morality in the church is going down the toilet. You know, I was at a, a church recently. I, I go to a lot of churches and, and speak at churches. And I was at this church recently where this young lady had shorts on that were so short that the pockets in the shorts came below the actual bottom of the leg. And I'm thinking, this is passing in church? It, 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 it's not like she's a brand new believer and they just got her off the street and hallelujah save her soul. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this is acceptable dress in a church because judge not lest thou be judged or some other out-of-context scripture where in reality they should take her aside and say, ma'am, we love you, and because we love you, we want to talk to you about modesty. But we won't even do that anymore. We won't tell our young men, you know, don't swear there's ladies present. For goodness sakes, even the mafia used to do that. There's Well, I won't say who, but I knew some people, right? And even those people, if if they heard young men cussing in front of ladies, they go over there, whap you in the back of the head, and say, watch your language. There's ladies present. But we don't do that anymore. We have become so milquetoast as a society. For goodness sakes, guys, you have psychiatrists trying to figure out how to get young men to even want sex anymore. The average uh, or um, out of 30-year-olds, what is it, one in three 30-year-olds is still living at home. I was just in line getting new plates for my Harley, and the, this 18-year-old 
is getting a, a government ID. And the lady who's probably in her 60s, who's working at the DMV, says, well, have you thought about, you know, taking your driver's test? Did you fail last time? No desire to get it at all. No, no, I'll just take an Uber or have somebody drive me. Man, when we were kids, 16, that was like freedom. Like, man, I'm going to get my license. I'm going to hit the open road. We are getting to this place where they're canceling proms because nobody cares. They're canceling soccer teams because nobody cares. We're just dying on the vine here. So a virtual, we're becoming the uh, a virtual reality uh, with all the screens, the computers, the phones, and this push yep. to, with with AI and a push with virtual reality. That's really sad. And as you just said, I remember you know being sixteen, not even having a license yet, and taking the car and being like, oh yeah, you know. Uh, yep. Look at me, I'm so uh, big and macho and manly. And how, how does that disappear? I remember we never stayed inside. We, we, rain, snow, we were out playing football, baseball, basketball, hide and go seek, tag in the dark. You couldn't keep us yep. inside when we were kids. But you don't see anybody outside today playing. It's really troublesome, and uh, you know that's a, a very terrible indicator of where our society's going. What would it take to to get back to that? I mean, are we going to have to have a massive, uh, you know, unplugging of electronics? I, I think that's the only thing that would actually uh, restore some of the common sense and uh, whatever you want to call it in our society to bring you know people back into the way it used to be. I think we need to unplug from our computers and TVs, but we're never going to see that as long as they're they're and available. Well, yeah, and, and you mentioned a couple things, and even that, you know, macho-ness of driving a car, today they call that toxic masculinity, yeah. Joe, so you so you got to be careful with that. But really, and I, I kind of jest, but they really do, um, but really there's, there's a few ways to look at this. Either one, this is how bad it's supposed to get, so the only hope is really Jesus coming back and getting us out of this deal. Two, uh, as bad as it sounds, Maybe there would be an upside to some sort of global crash. There would Maybe be. that yeah. would be the upside. We actually live for ourselves again, which is kind of interesting because, you know, people who watch you guys or watch me or something, we're always afraid of like, oh, no, America's going to fall. But then two minutes later, we're like, oh, man, America's so terrible. Well, which one is it? Do you want it to fall or do you not want it to fall? And the reality is that the people... The people are always the ones that kind of do fairly well when, when big governments fall. And I'm not trying to advocate that, but I'm just saying we, we have a total misconception of this. When Rome fell, it's not like everybody who was Italian just keeled over dead. Matter of fact, life got better for the average Roman because now you didn't have the tyrannical government. So there would be some benefits, sure, but, they, but it, where it really starts is right in here. It starts in your chest. I mean, how many people read the Bible... And don't even believe it. You talk about apostate church, there's actually an association of atheist pastors. These people don't even believe it. They just think it's a great job with cushy benefits and, you know, it's always a good thing to love thou neighbor. So we need to get back to where we actually believe this thing and start to live it. And we are seeing that. We're we're seeing a, a kind of a revival, not in churches, but in hearts. So that's that's awesome. Well, we definitely need uh, a way to restore, uh, as you said, the, the the labels that are thrown on young men and uh, the the push against white men, this toxic masculinity. But they never talk talk about the the toxic feminism that uh, right. you know it seems to be ruining everything. 
And then, you know, we're talking about the censorship. This is another area where their censorship comes into play with this, this, this feminazi movement. And I have nothing against women, you know, wanting to empower themselves and, and, and feeling confident and, you know, being, you know, that equal part of society. But when they have to, uh, undermine, delegitimize and, and, uh, you know, throw men under the bus in order to do it, that's when it becomes a problem. And we see this as what we've been talking about all night. It seems like, uh, the regular American citizens are at a disadvantage and all these other minorities and self-identified minority groups have, you know, these extra protections and extra rights. And this is antithetical to an equal and fair society. And we need to find a way to get back to that. But with our uh, toxic political environment, we're never going to get back to that. And I don't know what it will take to do so. Josh, we're halfway through the interview. Why don't you tell people where they can find your books, where they can find your radio show, and any uh, special events you got coming up? Yeah, so uh, I air Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 Central Standard Time on radio stations all over the place. Uh, so they can just Google that, Josh Tully Show. Um, we have Purple Monkey Garage, Purple Monkey University. We're actually giving away a free month to Purple Monkey University. Just put in the discount code LIFECHANGE2018, and uh, you can go take advantage of that. So that's pretty cool. I would definitely recommend getting a copy of Evangelpreneur. That thing, and you guys have helped in this, by the way, but that thing has become a three-time number one best-selling book. So definitely take advantage of that. I love it, although I have a hard time, admittedly, pronouncing Evangelpreneur. (laughs) Okay, i got to tell you, that is a fantastic book worth every cent, and it's um, it's required reading, really, for anyone out there. Period. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I I recently learned that that book has now actually become a textbook, required reading for a couple Christian colleges. So that is, that is good as well. It it is so, it is chocked full of uh, biblical truths, applying those to uh, daily principles in business. And it is um, eye opening. It's very eye opening. It can, it can really make you see things in a way that you are like, oh my gosh, how come I didn't think of this before? This is going to help me so much. Joe, before you change subjects, Josh, I want to ask you something here. In the discussion that we had um, about the uh, attack on masculinity, and I, I, for the life of me, look, I I cannot, I got to tell you this, if I was in the room, I I wouldn't be in the room with with anything but an alpha male. I mean, get out of here. Um, uh, but but I, I guess my question is this: We had talked about the, um, you know, finding, for example, um, should we use the wrong pronoun or whatever? I'm going to tell you something: I ain't paying, <laughs> okay? And isn't I guess my question is this: Isn't this what we all need to do in mass? Is to say, you know what? <laughs> you think we're going to pay this this fine, this bill? You think we're going to conform to these rules, which are at, at, I'm sure unconstitutional? Don't we push back? Isn't that really the only way to do it? Yes, yes, yes. And this is going to sound pessimistic, but it's really not. I think there is hope as long as there's breath in our lungs. But what you're saying, let's go back to 2002, the invention of the TSA after the attack of 2001, right? 2002, everybody said, well, I'm not doing it. They're not going to see me naked in one of those scanners. TSA, no, 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 Americans won't do it. When is the last time you heard of a TSA protest? Right. About 10 years ago. So I, I hear you, and I agree. I wouldn't do it, which is 
part of the reason why my videos get blacklisted, I guess. But we, we really have to work on the hearts and the minds of men. And what's interesting is study after study after study after study, whether it's here or in Asia or in Europe, women love manly men. They love gender roles. The happiest women on the planet are ones that are married to an alpha male who believes in the Bible. But they don't tell you that. And the happiest men, too. They live longer. They make more. And it's interesting how we teach sex ed in school, right? You know, insert in, in tab A into slot B. But they don't teach love ed. Why, why are we not teaching love ed? We have more divorces than STDs. Why aren't we talking about that? We have 50 to 60% divorce rate, yet not one class in home ec or, or health class about how to communicate with your spouse, how men and women are different, how, how to, you know, romance and, 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 and love a girl. I mean, where did that go? And then they call us the sticks in the mud. It, it's just, it's just a upside world, man, upside down world. Evil has become good, good has become evil. And if, but here's the opportunity. If you're watching this and you become one of those men and you become one of those women, then the world's your oyster because your competition's going away. And that's the plus. It used to be there'd be 700 alpha males, but now you're walking down the street like Doc Holliday and there's nobody to oppose you. So it's, it, 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 it's kind of funny. No joke. And I'm not saying I'm all that tough because I'm not. But if I pull up to like a gas station on my Harley, you will see these beta males, you know, the ones wearing carnigans and sipping on something. You'll actually, oh, and they'll walk around. And I'm like, I'm not that of an intimidating guy. I'm a nice guy, and you you would want to know me. But there's such a mentality of weakness and, and, and timidity, it's, it's getting ridiculous. Josh, I was just laughing with uh, Tech Eric when you mentioned uh, the possibility of teaching uh, you know, gender family roles in home ec in school. Could you imagine the, the, with the conversations we're having today, the backlash that these schools would get for trying to say, you know, a man should, um, you know, love his wife by doing this, 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 and this, and a wife should love his husband, her husband by doing this, 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 and that. Uh, how, how big of a, uh, outcry you'd have from these, uh, social justice warriors oh, getting into that one. But no, and, I'll, and, you, and you make a great point. And you know what? And, I don't give a crap. No, I, I know, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to raise my, my, if, if, look, my grandchildren, my, my, my male grandchildren, they're going to be raised to be alpha males. But one of the and, things we're not talking about with this debate is uh, something Paul Joseph Watson has pointed out several times, and that is the uh, chemical attacks on, on, on our, on our humanity. And oh, how sure. things like, uh, what he calls soy boys, the, uh, huge influx of soy into our diets and how that is lowering the testosterone and really adding to the, uh, effeminate, uh, effeminizing of men, if that's even a word. But, and, and that, and there are other, uh, chemicals from, you know, what we see sprayed in the air to the different chemicals in our food and the fluoride in the water. And we yep. don't, and vaccines and everything else in between, we don't know the full effects that these chemicals have on our human bodies on the sexual aspects of a man versus woman. So there's a whole dynamic here of, or a whole area here where that could be having just as much as an effect as the propaganda being pushed on us, uh, mentally. And, and sure. this is through the chemical way. And I don't think we fully or ever will fully understand those effects. Well, and you, you bring up a great point. A war is never just one front. It's, it, it's never just one front. So you have the, the chemical thing that Paul Joseph Watson talks about and Mike Adams is over at Natural News. Yep, totally true. Got it. 
You also have the media attack where men are made to look like bubbling buffoons in sitcoms and, and commercials, so you have that attack. And then you got the home attack where, you know, we're, we're teaching our people, our, our children to reject what has worked for thousands of years. So yeah, it's, it's a three plus pronged attack. And the enemy knows what he's doing, which is why shows like yours are so vitally important because we're talking about this. And you know, I think if, if we're willing to fight, then that's when God shows up and helps us too. You know, when in, in, uh, in life, I tell people all the time, if your dream isn't so big that it would take an act of God to accomplish it, don't expect him to show up. And we're at that point in this sort of fight. We, we need, we need a little bit of help from above. And I think if we're willing to move forward, he's willing to meet us there. Very well said. I want to kind of switch gears here as we got sure. about, what, uh, 15, 20 minutes left of the, the interview. Immigration. One of the last times you were on, we talked about, you know, the Catholic charities and all these other institutions flying uh, illegal immigrants and, and uh, Syrian refugees into the countries. Your video is still cover, going viral. Yeah, under the cover of yeah. darkness. Some with, you know, uh, diseases and, and all the other problems that come with that. We're seeing this battle today. Uh, we see the battle with, with the illegal immigration and DACA front and center in our news. And today the Attorney General has, is suing the state of California over their sanctuary state uh, policies. We saw the mayor of Oakland uh, get involved and warn of impending ice raids that were happening in Oakland over the weekend. What, what do you, why is it that the left only seems to stand for the murders of babies, uh, you know, gun rights being revoked, illegal immigration, and against Trump? They have no other platform. They stand for nothing else. And we see this immigration debate again front and center where they're overstepping even legal migration to try to give blanket amnesty to a number and millions of illegal immigrants. Well, the why is because they have an emotional driven action void of morality. You know, really, you have to start with morality followed by logic and then emotion. Emotion has to come last. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a glass, right? If, if, if I had a pitcher of water and I just pour it all over my desk, it's going to go everywhere and ruin everything. That's the liberal mind. It's kind of like those commercials. This is your brain. This is your brain as a liberal. Well, it, it's kind of like that. It just goes everywhere and it's, it just gets messy and destroys everything. Well, what logic does is logic then becomes the glass. So you have the glass and you've got the pitcher of water and the, your, your framework, your logic, then restricts where the emotion can go. Now you can still have the emotion but it's within the framework of logic which makes it something productive and beneficial to society. That's the difference. But the problem is it's not just the Democrats. I mean, look at the, the pushback right now people are having against uh, Donald Trump. You know, when he did his State of the Union and promised that three times more DACA dreamers can stay, more than what Obama wanted, the first thing I thought of was, whoa, I talked about that, that on the Hagmans before the election. And that video is still out there. I said on your show, I said, watch, you're going to see the Republicans actually push for this. And that's because we're facing massive population decline, but that's another subject, side that for a minute. But we saw Paul Ryan push for, I think, 500 or 800,000. We see Donald Trump, 1.3 million. And even with the DACA talk, notice how there is going to be some exemption. There is going to be some sort of path to citizenship for up to 25 million people. So even with that, 
when we were talking about that months before the election, we were way ahead of the curve and predicted that like Nostradamus. So that's what's happening on the, the liberal side of things. On the conservative side of things, they broke out a calculator and realized, hey, wait a second, we're going through a population decline like nobody's business. We better let these people stay, but how can we do this without causing a panic? Well, we'll just make it a political issue on immigration. And, you know, here we are, uh, states, the government suing California. You have uh, what is being called the... Uh, a war. You have Jerry Brown saying that this is a war, mm-hmm. Jeff Sessions saying this is a war, and then you have uh, these different rulings by the lower courts on uh, what the president can do on DACA. Some have ruled that he may not end the program. Well, the, Others the, have now ruled that he is allowed to end the yeah, program. Yeah, but don't go too too uh, far beyond that. Uh, Josh, what, what are your feelings on that, the standoff between the federal government and the state of California in this case? How's that going to play out? Where's that going to end up? You're, because you were right well, on the money before. <laughs> that's, that's a very interesting question. I think a lot of it is going to play out in bargaining chips. Uh, I think what you're seeing is largely um, a cat and mouse game, a little WWE happening, because we know that the Republicans want to keep the immigrants. We know that. They've admitted it. it people can Google it right now. It's on Breitbart. It's on Drudge. It's on InfoWars. It's everywhere. It's on the video that we did. So we know the Republicans want a large amount of immigrants to say. They, but they also have to save face with their voters. So you're going to see this used as a bargaining chip, and we're going to come to some rational compromise that doesn't do anybody harm, and that's exactly what the White House has been saying. That's what they've been prepping you for. Uh, that's what uh, Huckabee Sanders has been saying, too. That's what Trump has been saying. So just watch. You're going to see a compromise. And you're going to see this path to citizenship. And what's crazy is when Obama promoted it, which I was opposed to, but when Obama promoted it, Republicans were like, no path to citizenship. Now you're going to see Republicans say, okay, well, there, there should be some form of path to citizenship for those who are already here. I mean, why punish the kids who grew up here? Just watch. Well, I definitely... Uh, believe you are more right than, than not. And, uh, just by your past prediction, I'm going to have to go back and pull that video. And it is amazing how some of the people who were, uh, it's like we see with the, the media on the left when it was something Obama said or did. Uh, it, now that Trump says the same exact thing, they, they hate Trump for it, but they loved Obama for it. And you see many Trump supporters who were, you know, so opposed to the amnesty and the pathway to citizenship now are saying, Oh yeah, this is okay under yep. President Trump and it's amazing how that happens. And the only the only thing I can say is, you know, if he were to get the concessions, you know, the ending of the visa lottery, the chain migration, and a secure border and border wall, I could say, okay, let him compromise. But for the people just to, to do a, a complete one eighty and agree with it just because of the affiliation of their political party, that's uh, something else completely. Um speaking of, of policy uh foreign policy what's going on with syria we continue to see you know it is uh there was a report by you know the russians by rt today about the pentagon's syrian rebel army and the the isis syrian rebel army over sixty thousand strong still being funded with weapons and taxpayer money how come we haven't seen any action on the foreign policy from the trump administration because again, on your show before the election, you know what people got to do. They got to go find 2016 Hagman Josh Tully. Because on that show too, we predicted this. 
because you had a Trump candidacy who said, well, we've been at war in Syria for long enough, and he had this whole campaign thing about how we got to get out of Syria, never arm Saudi Arabia, and, and get out of the Iran deal. Well, what has happened? We've armed the Syrian rebels continually, like you just pointed out. We're starting to sell $115 billion worth of weapons to Saudi Arabia, and we're still ratifying the Iran deal. So everything on that foreign policy promise, right out the window. And as soon as I say that, you get diehard Obama, I mean Trump supporters, who just blindly want to pass it off and say, well, are you being mean to Trump? You should support him. This is supporting him. Calling him on what he said and what he's not doing is actually supporting him. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know if, if, like, some of your past guests have suggested a coup has happened or what. But everything you just pointed out, Joe, has gone kind of the other direction. And when it comes to Syria, look at what Syria is doing with Iran. Iran now has two or three permanent military bases in Syria. This is what happened. The last time you saw this was when uh, Iran used to be called the Persians. This is this is quite alarming. And then you see what's happening with Turkey and how that guy is now president for life, just like the president of China is the president for life. And now Turkey's influencing uh, this region, and they're, and they're all making a play for it. This idea that we were somehow going to just get out because that's what uh, Trump promised, no. And I'm not saying he's a bad guy. We just knew that was going to be a no because this is how this whole thing plays out every time. And I just wish it was addressed more. It seems that... Yeah. With, you know, issues like the, the gun debate because of the Florida shooting and everybody's, you know, hyper emotionalism over, uh, you know, Trump's meanness and, and, and the fake news that this is something that's not even talked about anymore. And right. it's so frustrating when you continue to see, uh, you know, these, these attacks on a daily basis. People are still losing their lives. Christians are still being persecuted and it's almost, uh, taken a backseat. It is, t- it has taken a backseat and put on the back burner over things like transgenderism, which is just insane. Josh, real quick, what, the Florida shooting, we saw uh, so much coverage, obviously attacking guns, but we've also seen the the complete screw-ups of Sheriff Israel, the Broward County Sheriff's Department, as well as the FBI. Uh, aside from the blame being put solely on the killer, do you blame or do you hold the FBI and the law enforcement accountable for their failures in this? No, Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know how you or I can make a Facebook post and the FBI knows about it 22 minutes later and then has Facebook pull it and they miss this. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is kind of blatant. To be honest, if I were to guess anything, they were going to catch this cat and then failed to do so. If you look at the seven last plots the FBI thwarted, all seven of them were planned for, paid for, and tactically put together by the FBI. Yeah. They found some dumb stooge to kind of go along with it, bust him for it, and then say, hey, we busted a terrorist. So you can't tell me they knew about this guy for this long and then, you know, kind of allow this to happen. Unless, well, Remember Terra Texas? Right. Remember the John yeah. Muhammad, the FBI agent texting the terrorist? Tear up Texas, basically, yep. you know, encouraging him in his attacks. Yep, because that's how you get big budgets. That's That's how you get big budgets. That's how you get increased spending. That's how you... You know, send a, a message to political figures. You might hold office, but we hold power. It's it's just it's corrupt to the core, and we knew that though. I mean, Comey, for goodness sakes, was on the board of HSBC, which gave money to uh, Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation. The, the the fact that there's not people in orange jumpsuits right now was a little alarming. And it, to be honest, 
just gives us more cause to realize nobody's saving you except for you and the people you personally know. Everything else is just a wish. This cop and the cops, plural, that st stayed outside and somehow said, well, that was our tactical instruction. We thought maybe the gunman was outside. You'd have to be an idiot. All the kids are running out because they're getting shot at. When they're covered in blood, where's the shooter? You go in. And that's, that's the part that really irritates me here. It's no longer protect and serve. It's in, it's, it's enforce and ticket. Yep. Meet and quotas. And we, I don't know if we've actually gotten clarification. I think it, they were, they were, there was an order given and I think the officer who gave the order not to enter the school, his, his name has been released, but still, you have four sheriff's still. deputies there. You don't listen to orders like that when you're in a yep. live shooting situation. You, this is what you signed up for. You go in there, you put your life on the line, and you attempt to stop the shooter, but four deputies refusing to do so, and disciplinary action should be taken. We also know about the school discipline programs from the Obama administration, with the Promise Program, which basically the, had a no, don't ask, don't tell policy with the police when students were committing crimes, even felonies. That in order to keep what they said was the pipeline from the schoolhouse to the jailhouse, uh, in order to pad their stats to get more federal funding, they would let a lot of these crimes go and not discipline the students, which would have eventually led to this kid not being able to get a gun. So there's failures all across the board here, much blame to go around. You just mentioned yeah. something. Why are people not in orange jumpsuits? We have Peter Strauch still working in the FBI. You have all these people who attempted this coup against President Donald Trump and the sedition that they were involved in in basically framing him for a Russia investigation that, that uh, is total nonsense, yet these people are still working in the FBI, Jeff yep. Sessions, nowhere to be found, handing off the investigation to the Inspector General. What are your thoughts on this? Well, it, it, it goes back to what we've been talking about time and time again. The only thing that is guaranteed with national government is you get more government. It doesn't matter who's in office. That's just how it works. I mean, Sun Tzu, Strategy 101, never fight an enemy on the field of battle that the enemy designed. Well, that's what Washington, D.C. is. It is a field of battle that was designed by the enemy that you're trying to, to get rid of. It's not draining the swamp. It's the swamp itself. When you, when you drain a swamp, you still have the swamp. You still have dirty water and dead things bubbling up years later. That's why you don't build on a swamp. Hotels sink when they're built on swamps. And that's the problem. We need to get back to this idea of local first. When you go on an airplane and they tell you, in the case of emergency, an oxygen mask will deploy, put your oxygen mask on first. Because if you die, you're no good to the people next to you. Well, that's how this has to work. We have to take back our cities, and we have to take back our counties. If we could take back the counties, there's about 3,500 counties and some change in this country. If we could tip that scale to 1,700 counties in our favor, it doesn't matter what D.C. does. D.C. would be neutered. But in, instead, we know nothing about the neighbors who live 12 feet to our left. We know nothing about the, the teachers at our children's school other than telling ourselves, well, that will never happen in a school like mine. We know nothing about anything that's really happening in the stock market or who our county board members is or are. But holy cow, we know everything about the purse Melania wore when she got off Air Force One. Yeah. We're, we're, we're way off base here. And this is done by design. And oh, we talk totally. about this all the time. You know, if, if people were able to take back their own municipalities, their own towns, their own cities, and uh, then, you know, you go to the state level, there should be more focus on your local uh, city council 
elections yep. as more so than the presidential elections. But we have our our priorities reversed in that respect, and, and the me- the media uh, plays into that a lot, which is by design. And Josh, I, the, the only thing I can think of is what you just laid out: uh, some kind of grassroots campaign in order to get people energized in every county in this country to work from scratch, starting from scratch, and implementing and running uh, campaigns for for people who will do good locally and work yep. your way up from there. That's the only way we're going to ever regain but, political Yeah, I, I agree. But let, let me toss in a question here. Do you find it not coincidental that with that school shooting in Florida, You've, you can't talk about that. You can't question David Hogg. You can't, you, you can't point out that, hey, there's a discrepancy here on social media because you're going to get spanked, censored, and thrown off YouTube. Yep. And what's, uh, so, uh, what's going on here? Yeah, well, notice how they don't want you to question anything. It's, it's, it's literally just put on your blinders and continue to move forward. And if you question anything, there's something wrong with you. That in and of itself should be a red flag. Investigations and and, and thought-provoking in-depth reporting should take months. Well, I remember when I was a kid and there was a plane crash. For goodness sakes, Barbara Walters and that other old guy on 2020 would do a 12-part series on this thing lasting for months. Now, we know nothing really about the shooter. Well, yeah, we identified him and whatever. And instead, we focus all our attention on the political activists. And if you even think that there's something wrong with the official story, shame on you. And that's that's really the problem. But that's why, you know, like Joe mentioned, it has to get back to that local that local influence. But we can only do that if we get back to a community and a country that has more entrepreneurs. And I know it sounds like those two things don't re- relate, but they absolutely relate. Because no community has ever had freedom without entrepreneurship. The reason why you vote on Tuesday is because most employees won't vote. The reason why a 5% turnout on a, on a local election is considered good is because they know employees statistically don't vote for local issues. And it's, it's that, that ability to fund ourselves, to empower ourselves, that really gets this thing going. That's why people got to support your sponsors too. And not say, oh, well, they're just doing this for the money. Folks, when I do my show and it costs $10,000 for a camera or something, yeah, where do you think that comes from? But yet you won't complain when you go to Walmart because they have a sale on tennis shoes. That's the problem. Yes, and we need to, I mean, this is the only way us and the alternative media and other people who are out there, uh, you know, on the ground, boots on the ground, helping others, sharing information, uh, to yep. know that there are people out there is to get the support, the people spreading the word about the show, the people praying for you, the people yes. monetarily supporting, the people supporting your sponsors, coming to events and, and conferences. And, and until we truly mobilize and get out of our comfort zone and, and are ready to really put some skin in the game, we're never, we're not really doing anything, much of anything, except complaining and except pointing out problems. We, anybody and everybody can sit here and point problems out day after day because surely there are enough of them, uh, that will never run out. But to actually put yourself on the line to do something to affect change and try to rectify those problems, that's where you're, you know, we're, we're seeing so much lacking in our We're society. going on the offense with you, brother. Absolutely. Let's keep it going. 
Evangelpreneur, How Biblical Free Enterprise Can Empower Your Faith, Family, and Freedom by Josh Tolley. Required also, reading, man. listen to the Josh Tolley Show, a fantastic radio show, which I urge everybody to listen to. Fantastic. That'll do it for this interview. JoshTolley.com, the website as well. And you can get all of his other websites from there. Josh, thank you so much for joining us. It was a great discussion. God bless you guys. Can't wait till next time. Hey, and I'm, I'm going to pull out that 2016 interview. Yes, do it. All right, bro. See you later. We'll be right back after this short break. Don't go anywhere. final hour on this Wednesday, March 7th edition of the Hagman Report. We have with us Pastor David Langford from the Voice of Evangelism, who joins us each and every Wednesday in our number three, always with some insightful and timely message, as we are always in troubling times, it seems. Pastor Langford, welcome back to the show. Good afternoon, Joe. It's a great joy to be back with you, gentlemen. Well, it's great to have you, and there is uh, you know, a whole lot going on. We spent a lot of the show talking about the uh, censorship in the political world. We've been talking about the immigration debate. And then we had Josh Tolley on where we covered a whole host of issues with him. Pastor, where would you like to start tonight? Well, I want to look at Jerusalem. Uh, There's a lot of things that people say are pro, say are con. Uh, There are those who believe that Jerusalem is absolutely insignificant, irrelevant, immaterial. And there are those like myself that believe Jerusalem uh, is so significant uh, to discount it in any capacity uh, would, I believe, grieve the Holy Spirit of God and would be absolute in opposition to the Word of God. You know, Trump has now decided to move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem uh, in May now instead of waiting till the fall of 2019. And so there's something accelerating. There are a lot of things that are taking place. There are a lot of things that are happening. And I thought of the two greatest democratic world leaders, Benjamin Netanyahu and Donald Trump, are under investigation. Uh, there's there's a reason behind these events, and of course, to say the least, they are satanic. Uh, America, the world in general, was on a head-on collision course uh, with the desire to bring to fruition a new world order. Uh, and the reason Satan wants that is because he wants to be God, and he desires to have a new world order because he wants to be the ruler of that new world order. And the Bible speaks of the rulers of the darkness of this world. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul said, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So we have to understand what we're witnessing uh, in the natural 
is being totally influenced, totally driven by the powers of the world and by the power of God. Uh, Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. He said, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So Paul says, though you and I, Joe, though we walk in the flesh, that's not what we're fighting. We're fighting powers of the air, yes, that are affecting the natural things. So this is why it's important that we fast and we pray and we wield the sword of the Lord, which is the word of God, against this opposition. And it's not by happenstance that these two men, uh, both B.B. Netanyahu and Donald Trump, are in a, a, a spirit of perpetuity in, 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 in perpetual, continual opposition. Uh, and there's a reason for this. And it's because we're coming to a state and a place of a, a desire to bring to fruition a new world order. There's going to be a third world war. There's going to be the Battle of Armageddon. doesn't matter what these naysayers say, what they proclaim, but we've read the scriptures, and these things must come to pass. See, that, 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 that's, that's the key. You know, when God gave prophecy in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3.15, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. It took uh, 4,000 years for that prophecy to come to fruition. And, of course, the devil fought it profusely. And uh, when he didn't know where Jesus was, uh, Jesus would give Joseph dreams uh, to take Mary and Christ and, and leave and flee, because if the devil had known where he was, he would have killed him, you know. But God preserved and protected him. But this warfare was going on. So the reason I wanted to look at Jerusalem tonight, the Bible is clear. Uh, that there were uh, 70 weeks were determined upon the people of Israel, which would be 490 years. Now, we have witnessed uh, there was a, a consecutive span of years, 483 years. That would be the 62 weeks and the seven weeks that Daniel spoke of in the ninth chapter of Daniel. Matter of fact, we'll, we'll, we'll just look at that. Daniel 9 and 25 Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore, to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks, and then he says, and threescore and two weeks. Well, you add those seven and sixty-nine together, or, or sixty-two together, you have sixty-nine weeks. It says, the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. Well, not too long ago, we were all familiar with this great wall that Israel built uh, in, around Jerusalem to keep the Palestinians from getting in and getting on buses and cars and blowing themselves up and blowing up other people. So there was a portion of that scripture fulfilled during that time. I was there in 2006, 
So I watched some of those things take place when I was over there uh, 12 years ago. Then Daniel 9 and 26 says, and after three score and two weeks, so you get, that would be 62 weeks, and again you add the other seven, 69 weeks, it says, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And then it says, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now there have been those who said the word prince there is still referring to Jesus, but if you look in your King James, it's a little p in the word prince. But in verse 25, it says the Messiah, the prince, both Messiah and prince there are in capital letters specifically identifying Jesus Christ. And so it says, after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. Now, 25 years ago when I was looking at this, I felt like the Lord gave me some insight. Uh, he said, after 69 weeks. So I believe Jesus Christ went into Daniel's 70th week, and his ministry was three and one-half years long. That's when then Jesus was cut off. He was cut off in the middle of the 70th week. Then we went into the church age. And so now we're looking for the last 1,260 days. We're looking for the last 42 months, or time, times, and the dividing of time. Time is one. Times is two. That now gives us three, and then half a time. So we have three and a half years. So when you go through the book of Revelation, when you go to the 12th chapter of the book of Daniel, you see the 42 months. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, we see time times the dividing of times. And Revelation 11, verses 3, we see the two witnesses prophesy for 42 months. Uh, we see Revelation 12 and 6, Revelation 12 and 14, Revelation 13, 5. It's always 40 and 2 months. Why? I believe it's because Jesus Christ got that uh, first half of Daniel's 70th week. Now, there will be a peace treaty signed, and it will appear to be a seven-year treaty. Uh, in 1993, those of you that can remember, Yikshot Rabin, Yasser Arafat, signed a peace treaty on the White House lawn September the 11th, 1993, on Rosh Hashanah. That was the year Bill Clinton put his arms around Yikshak Rabin. He put his arm around Yasser Arafat. Yasser Arafat, Yikshak Rabin were shaking hands, and Bill Clinton was confirming their covenant. We've been taught through pre-tribulation teachers the Antichrist makes a covenant. That's not what the Scripture says. Daniel 9, 27 says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's where we get that one week, that purported seven years. So a lot of people believe that that treaty was signed on the White House lawn. As a matter of fact, it was called the Peace and Security Agreement. That's synonymous with 1 Thessalonians 5 when they shall say peace and safety, peace and security, then sudden destruction. 
Well, that was in the fall of the year. You had 42 months to that would put you in the spring of the year. I'm convinced the Great Tribulation will begin in the spring of the year at the Temple Mount. And then you add 42 months to that, three and a half years. Three years would put you back in the spring of the year. Adding six months to that now will put you in the fall of the year. And therefore, Jesus would fulfill the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles at his second coming. Jesus fulfilled the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Pentecost at his first coming. And, of course, the last two major feasts are the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, the Feast of Trumpets, we, we've heard the passage quoted thousands of times, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall be raised first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Then Revelation 21, verse 3 says, And God himself shall tabernacle with man. So that will take place in the fall of the year. Uh, the fall of the year is known as Feast of Booth, B-O-O-T-H-S, or the Feast of Tabernacles. God himself will tabernacle with men. Now, this man of sin, we don't know who he is. He's a type of Judas Iscariot. There are two men in the Bible that are called the son of perdition. In John chapter 17, when Jesus Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he referred to Judas Iscariot when he was praying to the Father, and he was pouring out his heart in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he calls Judas the son of perdition. John 17, verse 12, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, we drop on down there in John 17 to verse 15. Jesus said, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Well, Jesus is praying that we not be pre-tribulation raptured out, but that God would keep us during this time of the manifestation of the son of perdition. Now, I just said the son of perdition, Judas Iscariot, was alluded to in John seventeen twelve. Well, where's the other reference to the son of perdition? Second Thessalonians 2, verse 3. Paul said, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. So there's your two men, and there's your two names, son of perdition. The word perdition simply means destruction. Judas Iscariot was a man of destruction. Uh, John 20, or Matthew chapter 24, he ran back in the, or excuse me, John chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 27, I'll get it right, Matthew chapter 27, verse 4, he runs back into the temple, he throws the 30 pieces of silver on the temple floor, he said, I have condemned the the innocent blood. He knew what he had done was was horrendous, terrible. I personally believe he could have repented like Peter did. He could have went out like Peter did and wept bitterly after Peter had denied Christ three times, but the guilt, the condemnation consumed him. 
instead of him repenting, he went out and he hanged himself. So he's known as the son of perdition, and this man, the Antichrist, is also called the son of perdition. Now, the Antichrist confirms a covenant. Uh, it's rumored, it's talked about an enormous amount right now about an Israeli-Iranian war. Uh, there's going to be a, a, a war, uh, some call it Gog and Magog, before the Battle of Armageddon. Now, what is significant about Trump moving the embassy to Jerusalem was the fact he said, I am going to take the negotiation of Jerusalem off the table. No one, no one, since this has been tried to be accomplished, has never suggested one time to take Jerusalem off of the, the negotiating table. So God obviously has put it in Trump's heart to do something. It's almost as though no one has ever thought about this. So by taking negotiating Jerusalem off of the table, it compromises the Palestinians, the Islamic world, in a very ugly and heinous way from their perspective. You've got the Dome of the Rock, you've got the Al-Asq Mosque, and there's still enough territory, enough land mass over there to build a temple. Now, all Israel needs in building their temple, if they just knew where to set the cornerstone, they would have it laid out. All they need is the holy. All they need is the holy place and the holy of holies. Uh, the holy place would be where the the table of showbread is, the menorah, and the altar of incense, and then the holy of holies, which would be behind the veil, uh, where the purported ark of the covenant would be. The outer court could be unmeasurable, and the reason I say it could be unmeasurable is because that has been given specifically to the Gentiles. Now, if you are not a Jew, you are a Gentile. I don't care what nationality you are. I don't care if you're German, uh, you are Spanish, uh, Japanese, Chinese, Taiwanese, it doesn't matter. If you are not a Jew, you are a Gentile. So if they could just get the holy place and the holy of holies, that court that is without. He says now in Revelation 11, verses 1 and 2, and there was a reed given, excuse me, there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court, the court has always been the outer court of the tabernacle. But the court which is without the temple, leave out, and notice this, and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city, Jerusalem, shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. So it doesn't matter how big the outer court would be, because he's told John here, don't even bother to measure it. It's given to the Gentiles. So in theory, all Israel would need is enough land uh, to build the holy place and the holy of holies. Now, you go back to uh, Luke twenty-one twenty-four. 
Jesus said, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive unto all nations. That is a specific prophecy uh, to the Jews, the diaspora, where they were dispersed throughout the entire world. And here's the next phrase. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Notice the phrase. This is Jesus. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That word times there in the Greek, you've heard me talk about this, is karios. It is a divine appointed time when foreordained events must come to pass. Now that's Luke 21, 24. We'll go back. We'll look at Revelation 11 and 2. But the court, talking about the outer court, which is without the temple. In other words, it's on the outside. He says to John, leave out, measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. So in Revelation, it says, they shall tread underfoot forty and two months. Luke twenty-one twenty-four. Jesus said, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times that's that appointed time, that foreordained appointed time, and which we know is 42 months. Now, I've often wondered about a passage of Scripture. And, you know, this is why the Lord laid on my heart years ago about trying to glue and nail down all Bible prophecy. Uh, I don't care who you are listening tonight. Nobody listening to me is smart enough to say, I've got it all figured out, I've got it all laid out. Now, I know there are those who think that, but that's where deception takes place, and you become deceived. Nobody knows it all. Nobody has it all figured out. So, Zechariah gave a prophecy in Zechariah 14 and verse 2. And, I, and I, it's a prophecy that I've often struggled with. Why? Because as an adult male, back all the way back to Jimmy Carter, we've tried to negotiate a peace settlement with the Palestinians and Israel. Let's look at Zechariah uh, chapter 14, verse 2. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled or plundered, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Here's what I always grappled with. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity. If all you have is half of a city, and half of the city goes into captivity, from Jerusalem, Israel's perspective, you got all they had, because all they ever had was a half. But Donald Trump pops up and says, guess what? We're not going to negotiate Jerusalem. We're giving all of that to Israel. Now, that prophecy made sense to me now, because if you have the whole city, they can now rifle, plunder, and ravage, and pillage the city and take half of it back. See? So I'm like, wow. 
Donald Trump has done something that I heard no one, I've, I've never thought about that, you know, because that's always been the sticking point. It's been said under the negotiations with Yikshot Rabina, Yasser Arafat, Yasser Arafat got 98% of what he wanted. But he wouldn't sign a peace treaty and abide by it unless he got the other 2%, and that fundamentally was they want half of Jerusalem. And, of course, Yikshot Rabin was assassinated. Most people believe that young Israeli college student assassinated him because that kid thought that Yikshot Rabin was accelerating the peace process and taking it to a state and a place where you could never you know, return from it. Well, guess what? That was in 1995. So 2005, 2015, 2018, that's been 23 years ago. Now we've got somebody, greatest powerful man in the world, our president, who says, we're going to take it off the table. Of course, that makes the Jews elated to no end. But you, now we've got a situation, by taking that off the table, they're going to come to the table, I believe, in some capacity and make a peace treaty deal, but then somewhere in there, there's going to have to come another set of negotiations about Jerusalem, and this is what will start the war. Because there, if you understand prophecy, Second Chronicles chapter six verse six says, "I have set my name over Jerusalem." You know, I I, I marvel, I almost snicker and laugh at people who discount Jerusalem. Uh, you know, and I know I know uh, Revelation 11, verse 8, it's called spiritually Sodom and Egypt. Sodom re- representing Sodom and Gomorrah, Egypt representing Pharaoh, the Egyptian bondage. I know those things. But, Joe, when Jesus returns, you know where he returns to? Jerusalem. And so, why is the devil fighting that so adamantly? Because that's where Jesus is going to rule from. It won't be Washington, D.C. You know, it won't be Saigon. It won't be, you know, Russia. It won't be Paris, France. It will be from Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, in the millennial reign of Christ, we're going to have to go, you and I, having glorified bodies, will be an insignificant, a moot point. But the nations... The nations that will be birthed and born and live during the millennial reign of Christ, it says in Zechariah 14 and 16, it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, that tells you the the mass destruction of humanity that the Bible talks about in the book of Revelation. So he says, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, they came to fight against it at the Battle of Armageddon, shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, which is in the fall of the year. And it shall come, to, and it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up, and come not, 
that have no rain. There shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that came not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. And that day shall there be upon the bales of the horses holiness unto the Lord, and the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts, and all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see therein, and in that day there shall be no more the Canaanite and the house of the Lord of hosts. So even during the millennial reign of Christ, we're going to be required to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And if the if the people that have fought Jerusalem, those that have come through, the armies that have been gathered, survived, if they don't come up to worship Jesus Christ, he's going to punish them with a drought, no rain. Now, of course, I don't want to get too scattered here and too deep here, but even death will still reign and be preeminent during the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ because the Bible tells us in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that the last enemy, verse 24, 25, the last enemy uh, says in uh, verse 24, 1 Corinthians 15, 24, then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Death will not be destroyed until after the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, and that is found in Revelation chapter 20, better known as the great white throne judgment. And after God looks through the books and the book of life, whose names were not found written in the book of life, they're cast into the lake of fire. And then in Revelation 20 and verse 14 says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So we're going to see an element of naturalization in the earth. Now the church, those who are part of the body of Christ, will have glorified bodies. We'll just think the thought and be there. You know, I'm in North Carolina, and when September, October rolls around, and it's time to go to the Feast of Tabernacles, I would just think the thought, and I'll find myself in Jerusalem. Natural people won't be able to travel like that. They'll either fly in airplanes, I reckon, or travel by boat. After there's a new heaven and a new earth, uh, there'll be no more sea, so it'll, it'll be contiguous land mass, obviously. There'll be lakes and rivers, but they won't need a, have a need for ships. So there, there's a lot of things going to take place here, but what, what is so interesting, and I want people to understand tonight, is there are things right now being done. None of us know the negotiations with Jared Kushner, with the Palestinians, with Donald Trump. We don't know what's being laid out. But obviously, taking Jerusalem off of the table, 
where it cannot be negotiated is going to force the Islamic world, the Palestinians, uh, to come to some kind of agreement and then, I reckon, postpone uh, their desire in getting a portion of Jerusalem. But the question is, I don't think they'll ever get it. Because, as I said in Zechariah 14, too, how can you take half of a city if you don't own the whole city? Does that make sense, Joe? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm listening, uh, Pastor. I'm here just enthralled by this. Wow. <laughs> I know you've been awfully quiet tonight. Quiet I, I have. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just listening. This is incredible. Not a creature was stirring, not even dug in a mouth. <laughs> but squeak, squeak. There's, 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 <laughs> there is a reason, folks, that all of this is going on. Now, here's here's the clincher. I don't know when this purported peace plan is going to be revealed. I just find it extraordinary that Donald Trump, number one, says. We're taking Jerusalem off of the negotiating table. Nobody's ever done that. I mean, I, that never once crossed my mind that that possibility could even exist. It's always been two-state solution. But I knew during the presidential campaign when Donald Trump made the statement, I don't care if there's a one-state or two-state solution. I don't care. Well, I knew then he was in no way initiated into the CFR, the Council on Farm Relations, the, the Bilderbergers, the the the, uh, uh, the Masonic, uh, he, he was he, the Masons. He was not a part of any of that. Now I know there are those out there say, "Yeah, he was." He don't even know he was initiated. You don't make those statements if you are and have been initiated. That that when he said that, it, it reminded me of a child or a novice, somebody who doesn't have a clue what they're talking about. The truth is. He didn't know what he was talking about. But he's a wise, he's a smart, he's a prudent man. So he's a thinker. But here's the key. Proverbs 21 one says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And, and so God puts thoughts in men's minds, and they do things. And it can be a, a genius thought. And, and it can be perceived as... And I looked at that when he said that. We're taking it off the table. I thought... Who's ever thought of that? Who's ever mentioned that? Never been never been heard of all the way back to my memory of, of any of these things to, to Jimmy Carter's day. They, and they would go to Camp David, you know, Menachem and Bacon, and, and they would they would talk and do these things. And I'm like, wow. So he's taking it he's taking it off. Now, why I'm watching all of this is if somewhere there is a peace treaty signed. We'll have to look and see what the treaty consists of. In 93, it was called peace and security, and security and safety are synonymous. And that's what Paul said in First Thessalonians chapter 5. You know, anybody that doubts uh, the veracity, the validity of the Word of God uh, needs a spiritual checkup. There's, there's nobody in the world could be so accurate and 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 in inspiring and having written these things, and they be so accurate to to to, to the the day, uh, the the verbiage, etc. We 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 read in First Thessalonians five, beginning at verse one. But.
but of the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, there it is. For when they shall say peace and safety, again, that treaty was called peace and security, synonymous, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Why? God is going to set this snare, and that's why they're not going to escape. But notice what he says in verse 4, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as the thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. Ye are not of the night nor of darkness. So we, looking at the prophecies in the book of Daniel, looking at the prophecies in the book of Zechariah, looking at the prophecy in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, and the book of Revelation, we, 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 we have such an overview of how Jesus said these things are going to take place. Now, there are those who are adamant, and they say, well, there's, there's not going to be a literal Antichrist, and, and the abomination of desolation is, is, is not a reality. Well, you can't say that, because Daniel prophesied there in uh, Daniel 9 and 26, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now that happened in 70 A.D. when Vespasian went to destroy Jerusalem. The emperor, Caesar, died, and Vespasian went back to be crowned, and then he sent his son Titus, and Titus finished off the job. See? So he says... Uh, the, the prince that shall come, destroy the city and the sanctuary. They, they destroyed everything about Jerusalem, the temple and everything. And the end thereof shall be with the flood, and unto the end of the wars, desolations are determined. And then he goes into verse 27, and he the Antichrist, this is, this is then futuristic after 70 A.D., he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. That tells you they're going to go back to having animal sacrifice. The Antichrist is going to stop it. And therefore, this is the abomination of desolation. It says there in verse 27, And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, the Antichrist, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Jesus then comes along in Matthew twenty four fifty five, the great Mount Olive Discourse, and he says in Matthew twenty four fifteen, When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, and then in parentheses in most of your Bibles it will say, Whosoever readeth, let him understand. So this is something that must be biblically understood. Again, I don't understand it all, but as I watch things said, I watch things initiated, I watch things put in place, it then begins to make sense to me. Now, if there is a Gog and Magog war, and there will be, according to Ezekiel 38, the potential exists that Israel could secure land from the river Euphrates all the way over to the River Nile, 
You'll find that in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 18, when God put Abraham to sleep and made covenant with him. Now, I believe the potential exists. I don't know yet. You have to wait and watch and see as scriptures unfold and as they are fulfilled. Suppose Israel goes to war, and I've said this forever uh, in my uh, few years that I've lived on this earth. Israel will not lose a war, no matter how great it is, no matter how intense it is, until the Antichrist comes against Israel. They will succeed in every military battle, but because they will not succeed in the end, this is what will cause them to turn and repent and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. You've got to remember, Romans 11:25, blindness in part has happened unto Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Now, those anti-Semites who are anti-Israel, you need to be humble and you need to be thankful that blindness in part has happened to them because that has allowed you and I to come into the kingdom of God. We have been grafted in. And when you go back and read the 11th chapter of Romans, God says you better be careful and not get a spirit of, uh, of bragging, of arrogancy. He said, just as I grafted you in, I can cut you off too. I can cut you back off. If, if, if you're the guy with the pruning shears and you've taken the time to graft, and here in the South we'll graft a pink dogwood and a white dogwood together, and we have a dogwood tree that has both pink and white blooms and blossoms. Well, the guy that has done that can go back and cut the pink or the white off and make it back like it was originally. Paul is saying to the church at Rome, don't get arrogant, guys. Don't get puffed up. Because just as God grafted you in, God can cut you off. Now, there's a verse in Romans 11:32 that God has concluded them in all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. You see, I can't understand that. I'm being honest here. But see, I'm not God. I, I cannot think with the, uh, the, the, the infinite mind of God says, I'm going to look at Israel. I'm going to conclude them all in unbelief. Why is God going to do that? He tells us, Paul says, so that he might have mercy upon them all. Well, I don't understand that because my nature in the natural is if you've uh, upset me, you know, I'm not going to be nice to you. I'm not going to be kind to you. God, God is so sovereign. That doesn't matter to God because God doesn't think like we think. Uh, we use the term in theology, anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism. What does that mean? It means giving God human attributes, like Psalms 34:15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are opened under their eyes. Giving God eyes. Uh, Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Giving God hands. Listen, God is so far bigger than hands and eyes and feet. You know, uh, I, I just had somebody say to me the other day, a great, a great theologian, uh, 10, 10, 10, a little over 10 years my senior, and he spoke up and he said, and, and God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and I said, that's not what the Scripture says. I said, the Bible says, and Adam and Eve heard the voice. 
the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. It was though there was a human factor there, but there was no bodily presence there. It just says the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. So as as human beings, we're always trying to get our mind around the deity, the majesty of God. I love the old the old Bible movies when God uh, comes to Abraham and he, Abraham. Abram, of course, he uses Abram. I get corrected on that, too. Abram, he doesn't even know who Jehovah God is because he's a heathen. Terah is his father. Terah is a idol maker. But this, there's, this, there's this thunderous, resonating voice that speaks to Abraham, and Abraham's looking around, and he knows it's God. He just knows because he can sense the, the, the presence of God. But we, we see no one. You know, in the burning bush... God is talking to Mo- to Moses. We see no hands, we see no feet, we see no eyes, but we know God is speaking to him out of the voice. Then we come into the New Testament dispensation, and we see God manifest in the flesh, the incarnate Son of God, something that we could see, that we could feel, that we could touch. He says to Thomas, he said, touch me, handle me, for a spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. So, you know, I, I can't get my little pea brain, my finite brain, around this august God and how he does everything. That's why the, 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 the walk of, of, of salvation is a walk of faith. You know, we believe in somebody that we have not seen, but yet we know he exists. We believe, that's why I told Thomas in the, in the it's obvious chapter 20 or 21 there, in the book of John, he, he, says, he says, Thomas, he says, you're believing, because you put your, your hand in my nail scars, you put your hand in, in my side where the spear was driven, and you believe. He said, blessed are they who have not seen, yet believe. So the greater blessing is having the ability to believe God, though we haven't seen God. I know that God is real, just as real as I can hear my voice. Uh, that's John twenty twenty seven. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. He recognized Jesus as God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. So the greater blessing is in believing in God whom we have not seen. Because I cannot sit here and tell you, yeah, I I saw God like I've seen Joe and I've seen Doug. I've I've had a visitation from God, but I I did not see him as as a man. I just saw a unfathomable, blinding, bright light that I closed my eyes and put my hands over my eyes and put my face down in the dirt to hide from the brightness. But I never saw a, a, a image of a man, a similitude of a man, just, just a bright light. So what we're witnessing, uh, folks, is God is moving. Uh, you know, we were just in Dallas. I preached Saturday night. God willing, I'll get the CD and air it on the radio. I, I prayed for people for well over two hours tremendous move of God 
uh, in people's lives. I mean, you'd, you'd had to have been there to have appreciated the spirit, the presence of God, what God did. God is moving. God is doing something. And, and, and God's going to do some things that are going to surprise every one of us. You know, and I've said this, uh, Joe, I've said this, Doug. I, I, I admittedly struggled to pray for the Muslim in the White House. I mean, I, that, that, that was hard for me. I, I'm not going to lie about it because I, I, I saw evil. I saw, I saw corruptness. I saw dishonesty. I, I saw deception. I, I saw duplicity. And, and it was hard to pray. But now I'm witnessing a man that everybody, for the most part, is attacking. People need to understand something. All the religious people had it wrong when Jesus came the first time. They had it absolutely wrong. For the most part, they did not believe he was the Son of God. First uh, Timothy 2 and 1, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplication, prayers and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Uh, look at what Trump, he may be getting... Uh, little rocket band to the negotiating table. You see, I, I, I'm watching a man that is brass, that is crass, that is boisterous, and some might say flippant and arrogant. But see, people are responding. People are reacting to what he is saying. Because God puts it in his heart, maybe to say that boisterous, cynical, ludicrous statement, but God will use it, like, like with Joseph. Joseph told his brothers, he said, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. If we're not careful, we won't, we won't discern the time. We won't discern where we are. And we'll say things, we'll do things, we will even oppose God when God is in something. That's, that's the great mystery, the great mystique, I should say, about Joseph. We don't see Joseph being critical ever about anything. And the guy was treated like dirt. The Bible said there in Genesis 37, his brothers could not so much as speak to him peaceably. They couldn't speak to him peaceably. Yet he was God's chosen. He was God's anointed. He was God's elect. And he had nothing to do with it. That was God's sovereignty. He said, Joseph, I know there are 12 sons. You're the one I'm choosing. And so God gave him a limited uh Understanding of what he, how he was going to use him by giving him a simple dream, and in the dream he just saw his brothers falling down and paying obeisance, and that's all the dream consisted of. But it didn't show him the the pit, didn't show him prison, it didn't show Potiphar's wife trying to seduce him, didn't show him all the hard the hard stuff. Why? Because as a human being, he would have probably said, "God, I can't do this. Get get Judah, you know, get Levi. Don't I, I can't do this." So God gives all of us limited revelation, limited understanding, because if we knew all the grievous, burdensome tasks and things, Doug, if he showed you everything, you might bail out tomorrow. You, you say, I'm, I'm not, I can't do this, and I, I'm going to quit because I can't handle that. God says, I'm not going to show you then. I know you'll get discouraged. I know you'll get beleaguered. So I'll just give you a little piece here and there so you keep walking and trusting me by faith. 
And I said that to say this. We better be careful when we are, are barking and we're criticizing and we're finding fault because how are you how are you for sure God's not doing and putting in Donald Trump's heart to do the things he is? Now, in the end, he could turn, because he's a man, he could turn, resist God, and become a Judas Iscariot and become a son of perdition. God did not ordain a devil in the beginning. Now, I know some uh, denominations twist that scripture. He said, I have chosen 12 of you in the beginning, and one of you is a devil. And they twist that and say, I chose a devil in the beginning. That's not what it says. See, he became a devil later on. So prior to that, he was casting out demons. He was casting out devils. He was healing the sick. They come back. They're rejoicing, praising God. They said, even the devils are subject to us in your name. He said, don't rejoice because of that. He said, rejoice because your names are in the Lamb's book of life. So we have to be careful and, and very judicious, uh, and, 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 and we should be very careful in our words because we may be unknowingly uh, attacking what God is doing. I don't, want to be a, I don't want to be found fighting God. Isaiah 63, 10 says, But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore was he turned to be their enemy, and he fought against them. You know, God can fight us, folks, and he's not going to lose. So my point is we need to be submissive. We need to be humble. We need to be contrite. We need to be observant and be like Mary. She said, I, I don't understand this. How can this be? I know not a man. Nevertheless, at thy word. So we, we, we don't need to bow up and say things and do things. Ponder these things. Pray about these things and watch what God does, because you see, as long as you stay in the Scripture, just like myself, I never understood that verse, how can you take half of a city if half is all you have? So there has to be a whole to get half of it. So if we'll just be diligent, watch and listen to what's being said, there's no telling uh, some of the things that God will reveal through His Word as events take place. Every time an event takes place in the Scriptures, it was already prophesied. It was already laid out in the Word. God told Abraham, Sarah, this time next year you're going to have a son. Why it took a year instead of nine months, whether he was rebuilding Sarah's body, her mammary glands, her muscles, her ovaries, her uterus, all of these things. Uh, but he, he didn't say in nine months. He said a year. But it was spoken first by the Word of the Lord, then it came to fruition. And uh, by the way, Abraham didn't have just one child, one son, Isaac. He married another woman named Ketruah, and he had five more children by her and told the, the siblings, you'll not get any inheritance. All the inheritance goes to Isaac because Isaac was the promised seed that God had, had given. So I want to encourage people, watch what's taking place in the coming days because I really feel... God is accelerating a lot of things. Th th that was marvelous. Th things are indeed happening quickly, aren't they? Well, the, look, look, look at the opposition that you, Alex Jones, trying to get knocked off of YouTube. Look, look at where the battle is being fought. It's being fought against truth and righteousness. And then the, 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 the hell raisers are getting by with everything. 
we know we're headed in the right direction. That's a good point. Very good point. Wow. And the teachings yeah. and studies on Jerusalem, Pastor, are so and Israel, especially in the end times, are so important because so many different theories are out there that are are contrary to what Scripture says. Many people believe Israel won't be touched or harmed at all, even though Scripture well, says otherwise. It says ravel, rifled and ravished. Matter of fact, yep. God willing, next week, I'm going to try to put together it may be two or three hour DVD. I've, I've got all my notes together. I'm going to lay this out systematically. Because like I said at the end, Jesus Christ is coming to Jerusalem and the Battle of Armageddon is going to be fought there in the Valley of Megiddo. This is where it began. This is where it's going to end. And this is where Jesus Christ is going to set up the kingdom and uh, rule from there. And you and I, Revelation 1-6, he's going he's to make us kings and priests. And we're going to rule and we're going to reign with him. Uh, who knows, Doug, you may be the governor of Pennsylvania. <laughs> that's funny. The attorney general. Yeah, right. Uh, Joseph, <laughs> that's funny, Doug. Yeah, I know. Pastor, yeah, I'm awesome. I'll tell you, what, what an enlightening, uh, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, wow, I'm going to have to re- listen to this again. Well, you, you've said so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank yeah. you. I, I've got to ask you. Um, how was your um, time in Dallas. Texas? It was great. Uh, uh, Brother Baxter and I, we did two TV shows. Uh, I'll uh, hopefully be able to tell you the days they will be aired. There, there now, you go to endtimeministries.com. That's endtimeministries.com. Go to the archives, and you can watch those uh, two programs that they're consecutive, 59 minutes. But he'll break them up in two 30-minute segments, and we'll be on TBN, we'll be on Daystar, all the Christian networks, and I'll get the airing dates and be able to air that for people who don't have computers or whatever. It was great. It was really great. It was anointed. And uh, God's stirring, brother. He's doing some great things. We're excited. We know, my wife and I, that we're getting ready to enter into a new chapter in our lives. I just don't know uh, which way God's taking us. I know their denomination demonstrated unfathomable love to me and my wife. They loved us. They hugged us. They want us to be a part of it. I've just got to get the mind of God and make sure I'm doing the right thing. But God is working and moving, folks. I'm telling you, God is truly moving. Amen. And, um, uh, Pastor, again, thank you for your amazing teachings. And and, uh, we'll be uh, in timesministries.com, correct? There you go. Okay. And thank you for helping me promote that down there, both of you. Well, well, uh, very promotable to be sure. Thank you. All right, so Pastor. We love you guys. Have a good night and a great week. All right. God, God bless, bless you, Pastor. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that will uh, yeah. do it for us tonight. A, a great, a diverse range of topics and discussions that we had. Uh, and I want to mention this. Pastor Langford and your opening as well. Yeah, and I want to mention that, that perhaps we can have Pastor Langford up here. And maybe, oh, he's coming. Yeah, maybe in uh, another month and a half or so. He said and, he's going to yeah. be coming. And, and Ray folks, Jackson, too. Yeah. No, no, no. I just want to mention this as well. If you go to uh, Steve Coyle's website, the Branson Conference, man, that's filling up like crazy. So register because the rooms are limited. Branson, the True Legends Conference in Branson, September 14th through 16th. You might think it's too early. It's not. It's not. Seats no. go quick. And Occupy 2018 in Canton, Ohio. Make sure you're 
you sign up for that as well because uh, <laughs> the space is limited there and uh we're both we're all going to be talking there and uh, a lot of stuff to say uh nine o'clock tomorrow the doug hagman radio show two to three john and joe and of course back here at seven and uh just you know god bless each and every one of you